0: Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. I prefer the faster baby. I am Iron Man. Assemble. What is going on everybody and welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, the MCU retrospective, where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece Movie by movie, I am your host, Eduardo, and folks, we're in the endgame now. This is it. This is what we've all been waiting for. It's sort of the culmination of all of these episodes that we've done previously. Even though there are more movies and TV shows after this, this is still a really big event, endgame. You know, we're, we're, we're at a very, very large crossroads, and boy, have I ever assembled three of the finest podcast 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 host that anybody has ever heard i didn't come up with anything fancy because i thought this is this deserves some regality to it it deserves some some praise for all the the work these gentlemen have done we've got peaches we've got chris and we've got robbie what's up boys i
1: was i don't know what i I feel like I'm lacking an alliterative intro now, and I don't know what to do about it. It's weird. I feel yeah. emptiness inside. You blipped away our, alliterative, our uh, alliteration.
0: <laughs> I did do that. Guess hey, you're going to have to go and pull a time heist and get it back.
2: That's fine. I just I can't mean.
3: believe we're at this point. It's I overwhelming.
2: It's... Oh, I would like to point out that it is almost a year to the day, just a little, uh, about a week past a year to the day of y'all telling me about the podcast. So that's. Uh... Here we are. We did it.
0: No, it's crazy. And thanks to everybody who's been listening for this whole journey or anybody who started tagging on with us recently or anywhere in between. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We actually have a a thanks to give out right now to an emailer who sent in an email at the request of Robbie, apparently, uh, because she said so in the email. Let me go ahead and pull it up here. I didn't have it prepared because I'm not professional. Uh, here it is.
1: Homie, I'm professional.
0: (laughs) I appreciate that. This email comes to us from listener Kelsey. It says, hello. Robbie requested a while ago that I write emails, so I am humbly answering his call. First off, I feel that as a friend of Robbie's, I need to defend him and say that I also unabashedly love the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Uh, I will pause here and say, I don't think any of us don't love those movies. I think... I think the movies aren't as good as I remember them to be, but I still love them.
2: And I say two out of three ain't bad.
0: There you go. Yeah, it's a good Uh, batting average. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They were a huge part of my childhood, and one and two were go-to road trip movies for me when I was a kid. I showed them to my roommate recently because she hadn't seen them and they still hold up, at least for me. Admittedly, Spider-Man 3 is very weird. I do remember I cried like a baby when I saw it in theater and Harry died. Similarly, I imagine, to how Peter cried like a baby when Mary Jane played Cinderella in the school play. <laughs> I hear there's a test episode about the first Spider-Man. I would like to hear it, please. <laughs> Ever That's since I discovered... You hear it. ever since I discovered slash caught up on the podcast, I eagerly await new episodes. I enjoy hearing different perspectives in the comic history and how y'all pick up on things. I didn't notice. I am a huge MCU fan, and this is such a fun way to relive these movies. I love so much. I'm looking forward to any additional forays into other parts of the MCU. I'm sure I would be asking too much for you to go through the Netflix series since they hardly count as MCU anymore, or maybe at least just do daredevil because it's a masterpiece. I feel like, you and her have had to have had a discussion about this because anytime the word Daredevil gets said, Robbie talks about how it's a masterpiece. It is. Can't wait to hear what's done, next. But... <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Kelsey. Well, Kelsey, thank you for listening to the show, for being such a such an avid listener and for, for giving us all your support, even if Robbie forced part of it.
1: <laughs> and for putting you in the most anticipated episode of all time. We're going to need $20 yeah. from you.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> thank you. How are you going to feel? When you, you, you start up your Endgame episode and all of a sudden we're not talking about Endgame, we're talking about you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what you gonna do, brother? What you gonna do when Professor Hope comes <laughs> for you?
2: Um,
0: but thank you, Kelsey. We really appreciate it. Uh, like I said, I don't think anybody doesn't like the Spider-Man movies. I think the the, the phrasing I use where they don't hold up as much as, as well as I thought they do. And part of that is because we have such... We've raised the bar for what a superhero movie can be that now when you go back and you watch the Spider-Man movies, you're like, oh, well, you know, they're good. They're just not, you know, as we're about to talk about, they're not endgame level, right? They're not this. No, they don't don't come up to this bar, but they are good movies. They're just not like I when I was a kid, I thought the Spider-Man movies were the craziest movies I'd ever seen. I thought they were so insane and no movie would ever be as insane as these movies. And yet here we are. Well we're gonna talk about here pretty shortly a movie where Professor Hulk and a raccoon go on a time heist to get a glove back and, and it was a- beat a guy and you know it's just it's just And that was
2: obviously a failure with audiences.
0: <laughs> right but, no way
2: people would uh would see something like that. <laughs>
0: So thank you, Kelsey, for the email. We hope you enjoy these next few episodes. I wanted to quickly say thank you to everybody who's been listening um, from the beginning or in between. Once again, and I also want to say, you know, we're not we're not going anywhere. We have um, we have plans for what's going to sort of happen here in the future, whether or not those plans kind of. Where we go with those plans i'm not 100 percent sure but we definitely have some plans as to where we're going to go and where the show is going to go here in the future we definitely maybe we'll do the i can't say definitely do the netflix shows we're definitely looking at doing some extra content um maybe it'll even include the sam raimi movies i would really personally like to do an episode on into the spider-verse because it's my favorite superhero movie just of the past like 10 years I just love that movie so much um, so I think there's definitely a lot of other stuff that's not necessarily MCU for us to talk about and we're definitely going to be pulling out some more content until we get uh, a fresh injection of the Disney Plus shows and the Black Widow movie um, anything you guys want to say to Kelsey no thank you. yes thank you Kelsey yeah, thank, thank you, you. you for
3: listening and thank you for your support oh wow I-
0: you guys are such poets um Mm -hmm. (laughs) well i think it's finally time for us to start talking about what we came here to and that is endgame first off this movie made just a stupid (laughs) amount of money like just a crazy insane just dumb amount of money um it hit the ground running making 1.2 billion in its first weekend doubling the previous record held I by Infinity that. War doubling it doubled Infinity War's record first off Infinity War was already crazy in the record that it set and then here Endgame comes and is like oh oh that's cool but watch it, this
1: it doubled the the revenue
2: with half
1: the amount of people in the universe <laughs> oh wow <laughs>
2: Yeah, I because I, I remember Infinity War domestically made $250 million in its opening weekend, which was the record by far. And then Infinity War, a three-hour movie, which meant that there were fewer showings at theaters, made $350 million <laughs> in yes. its first weekend domestically.
1: Yep. Did you guys end up seeing it? I, I think this is a stupid question, but did you guys end up seeing it multiple times while it had its... It's yeah, I saw,
2: I saw it, it multiple times. times the first weekend. <laughs>
1: I saw it twice the
3: first so, weekend, and then <laughs> a few weeks
1: later. I don't, I don't know how the theater capacity was for you guys, but there was not a time that I saw it in theaters where the theater wasn't full. Like yep. it was full every single time yeah. until it wasn't in theaters anymore.
2: Saw, yeah, I me, saw it almost a
3: month after release, and the theater was still full.
2: We saw it Friday night. Uh, we drove forty-five minutes out to see it in IMAX. Uh, since this along with Infinity War uh, they were the first two major Hollywood movies filmed entirely with IMAX cameras so like, we gotta see it in IMAX Uh, and then the very next day we went with our friends Kelly and Jeff Kelly was the uh, matron of honor at our wedding uh, and we went with them to see it on Saturday so we thought two days in a row I willingly went to a three hour movie and neither time did it feel like a three hour movie for me (laughs)
3: Still doesn't feel like a three-hour movie to me. Oh, like, no,
0: no. this movie does like kind of blaze past. You know what made more money in the first week than Infinity War did its entire run?
3: Isn't that, yeah. just, me. Isn't
0: isn't that, just, and that just? And that Infinity, Infinity War was like, like, yeah,
3: right. And Infinity War made a lot of money. Like it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like it outdid some movie that just did okay. Like this this blockbuster outdid a basically a benchmark for all blockbusters prior to that point
2: it's like imagine like i'm trying to think of like an equivalent like in sports like let's say that someone set a home run record one year and it was like they like by 10 home runs Mm -hmm. and then the next season someone else broke that by 30 so You kind of
3: described Babe Ruth, except he broke his own records. But I don't know if you guys know this. Like, Babe Ruth would out-well,
2: I mean, the Avengers broke their own records, too. Babe Babe Ruth's peak was
3: out-homering entire teams. So that is what this was like.
2: There we go. Uh,
0: It's the fastest film to 2 billion, taking 11 weeks to get there, while Avatar took 47. And it ended with 860 million in North America, second all time. And 2.8 billion worldwide making it the highest grossing film of all time and then James Cameron was all like you can have it right now uh, you know Avengers we'll get it back sure with will. Avatar 2 sure. no you sure. won't
2: Avengers, uh, Avatar <laughs> 2 has to happen first and I remember when that was supposed to come out in 2015 <laughs> Kingdom Hearts was supposed to come out in 1982 <laughs> or Kingdom Hearts 3 I'm yeah. sorry that I ruined the joke <laughs>
0: yeah
2: and I I do think it was kind of weird. I'm going to say this, even though I'm like an MCU fanboy. It was weird that people were like rooting for Avengers to top Avatar. It's always weird for anyone to be like, man, I hope this big company makes a ton of money. Um, Especially when that big company now owns both Avengers and Avatar. Right.
3: Eduardo pointed out that it was the number two highest grossing film all time domestically. Uh, The same company has the number one. All time highest grossing film. Oh, life. yeah, Force yes, Awakens. Force Awakens right? is number one. And did Infinity yeah. War end up being number three domestically <laughs> all time?
2: I think it. Well, Infinity War would be number four because Avatar Domestic- was. Domestic. No, of it. Oh, no, maybe not. Uh, dem- no, you're yeah. right. You're right. I'm thinking worldwide. Let me-
1: Episode seven is still number one lifetime gross overall. Endgame is two. Okay. Avatar is 3. Black Panther is Oh, that's four, right. Black
2: Panther's and 4.
1: Infinity War is 5. I
2: forgot that Black so, Panther outdid Infinity War domestically. So by $22 million. Same, dollars.
3: So four films from the same studio and the, the same Odd franchise. Man Out that same company has that's that uh film in its theme parks.
2: And and now owns Ooh, and because now they owns. bought Fox.
3: Oh, that's right. That's yeah. like, oh my god. Well, on Titanic
2: is <laughs> number 6. Yeah, so you got James Cameron. I don't know. <laughs> and then Jurassic World in there at 7 and why you know there's my hot take I, guess. I realized I came to a realization the other day <laughs> that the people who grew up liking Star Wars and don't like the Star Wars sequels I'm that but for Jurassic Park same <laughs> because same. I Jurassic Park uh, not not to go on too much of a rant but Jurassic Jurassic Park was probably the defining movie going experience of my childhood it was. Uh, I remember it was the first PG-13 movie I ever saw. It was like the first movie I ever like, looked forward to. I was like, I really want to see it. And my dad went and he saw it, and he's like, okay, I th- I think Chris can, can go see it. So my mom then took me to see it, and I love it. And to this day, I am just blown away by that movie. Um, and Jurassic World, I... First of all, I...
0: You're not blown away with Jurassic uh, World? No.
2: I... Well, the first, the first thing I had was, while we were in line to see Jurassic World, there's a kid in front of us, like a you know five-year-old, wearing a Jurassic Park shirt. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, more time has passed... Okay, so this kid, is probably about the same age I was when I saw Jurassic Park. And for him, Jurassic Park was older than Star Wars was for me when I was that age. That's how much time had passed.
0: Wow. Jesus.
2: (laughs) Because Star Wars came out 10 years before I was born. And this kid was born five years ago or whatever. And uh, Jurassic Park came out in 93. Uh, And then I saw Jurassic World and I was like, well, that was a bummer. And I still haven't seen Fallen Kingdom. Because I was like, oh, I'm going to go see it because Jeff Goldblum's in it. And then I found out he's only in it for like a minute and a half. I was like, okay, never mind.
0: Don't go watch it. Don't do it. It makes Jurassic World seem good in comparison. I don't think oh. I've ever been... I've probably been more disappointed in a movie. Uh,
2: but maybe not.
1: I don't know. I wonder how many of those characters blipped.
0: Not enough of them. <laughs> well, at right? least one of them. Um, <laughs>
1: right.
0: All right, so now it is finally time to talk about the movie. We're going to get into the synopsis right now, starting at the very top. It starts with retired S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Clinton Barton. Spending time with his family on their farm, Clint, with an ankle monitor as part of his plea deal, following his involvement in Civil War, is teaching his daughter how to shoot an arrow while his wife and sons prepare a picnic. And then she asks them if they want ma- uh, mustard or mayo on their hot oh, dogs. Yes. What a weird... <laughs> Who asks anyone if they want mayo on their hot dog?
2: I mean, at least the girls, I like, never <laughs> met why? Why? <laughs>
0: oh man that actress i forgot her name but she's the reason you guys ever see the movie forgetting sarah marshall no Are
2: you talking about linda no. Cardellini?
0: oh yeah that movie's based off of her
2: oh yeah i think we talked about this in the it's ultron like, episode didn't we
0: yeah that movie's loosely based on her it's like a weird <laughs> yeah
2: because because she was on freaks and geeks with uh jason Segel. right yeah. with
0: with uh with jason siegel and they were dating and then he felt like this happened to yeah. him
2: because she got fun she right she got that
0: scooby-doo money <laughs> She did get that. She was also on Boy Meets World. She was the the girl that Cory kisses at the the, oh, at the, the lodge, lodge? in her. Boy Meets World. Ooh. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, where he says the
2: kiss meant nothing. Oh, and then on Girl Meets World, they go back to that lodge and her son is there. Yeah. Oh boy. What a callback that all the middle school kids did not understand. The Boy Meets World callback.
0: callback. (laughs) This is the most ambitious crossover.
2: (laughs) No, that was the TGIF where uh, Salem from Sabrina sent the other three shows back in time. Do you remember that? Yes. uh, Boy Meets World went to the 40s. That show about a genie went to the 50s or the 60s. And then I think Teen Angel was the other one. I didn't I'm, know there was a TGIF. half these shows existed. What a, what a weird time! Yeah,
0: what?
2: yeah where, the, where the priest from Firefly played God's cousin Rod on Teen Angel. Do you remember that, or am I? Is that? I do not. Okay, know. yeah.
0: So Clint, right? It all started with mayo and hot dogs. Uh,
1: Hawkeye is so interesting. We don't even want to talk about him when we're talking yeah. about him.
0: That's our Hawkeye after his daughter hits a bullseye Clint goes to retrieve the arrow when he turns around his daughter is not there only a cloud of dust he turns the other direction to see the rest of his family also gone as Clint desperately calls for his family the Marvel Studios logo plays uh, that
2: and half of the characters
1: are missing yeah any
0: character that was snapped
2: is not in the logo wow uh, and th- that Hawkeye intro—you know what's mm-hmm. coming, even when you're watching the movie, you know what's about to happen, and it's—and I don't works. know if I talked to you guys about
3: this already, but worth talking about on here. Um, or if you know that—that that scene was shot for Infinity War, and they couldn't get it to work right in Infinity War because you know Hawkeye wasn't in Infinity War, and it was weird pacing. So they just moved it here as a starting scene when everyone knows what's going to happen. Um, and I think that works perfectly. That was a brilliant choice. Like I remember sitting in theaters, and we should definitely—I think. All through this episode, we should talk about the crowd reactions that stood out to us when we were watching this film. But that was the first one, Mm -hmm. was sitting in that theater, and Hawkeye's on screen. And before even anything happens, before anyone disappears, I just remember a bunch of people in the theater going,
1: Oh no!
0: (laughs) 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 Audible gasp.
1: (laughs) This scene hits uh, a weird spot for me because uh, here's a deep dive into Peach's head. One of my, um, like all-time greatest fears is just like being completely alone. Um, Just like not, not in any specific way, not like not in a relationship, but just being completely isolated by myself forever. (laughs) How's
2: quarantine going for you? And I
1: have, well, (laughs) that's fine. I have a roommate. But, But I have these recurring dreams as a result where like, I'll be hanging out with people and I'll turn around and I'll look back and everyone's gone and it's just me. Oh. And so the opening of this movie was like, oh, I've had this oh, dream no. <laughs> so have many ever, times.
0: Have you ever watched I Am Legend?
1: Yes, um, and I don't like that because of the dog. Oh. But I mean,
0: but also other things.
1: Yeah, and other things, yeah. Right. Anyway, let's get out of the Peach's brain because we don't need to stay in there too long. No, we're going back to it soon. Okay.
0: <laughs> so on board the Benatar, Tony Stark and Nebula are playing paper football. But it's not a paper. It's like weird metal. It's like a weird metal football. football Space paper. Space paper. (laughs) When Nebula acts in surprise to winning a round, Tony shakes her hand and congratulates her, saying it was fun. Nebula reflects on the idea of a fun competition. And Peach, we're starting off with you, buddy. This was a good Nebula moment, right? And I don't think Nebula has had too many great moments. I think Guardians Two she had a good moment, but I think this is the movie. I think this is a lot. A lot of this movie is her movie, right?
1: We weren't kidding. We're going right back to me. Okay, so I uh, I agree, and I think for me I I wouldn't have had as many thoughts about Nebula if a we weren't doing this podcast in general, but b if uh, Robbie specifically hadn't like doesn't feel the way about Nebula as he does. I think. Um, Robbie's brought her up several times throughout this podcast and um, just her character development and how she translates from comic to screen. And I think that it's interesting in this beginning scene to see how much character development can happen in like literally 90 seconds, probably even less than 90 seconds. They're playing this game of football. She's with this guy. She barely knows. And she wins the round and after the handshake she is just like completely in shock and it's like it's crazy for her because she has spent her whole life being torn into a different person with parts replaced every time she lost to her sister because she never wins she's never won anything important in her life and right now it's not important they're playing a game of paper football but simultaneously it's the most important thing that's happening because they have nothing else to do on the ship they are also in in isolation <laughs> they have nothing to do and they're and so they're playing this game and she is completely shocked when she wins cuz she's not used to it and it, it to me it's just it just shows her arc from the beginning to where she ends up at the end of the movie you can kind of see where something as little to us as winning a paper football game has such an impact on her because she's never won anything, that it starts to change her mindset entirely about other things. Like like um, Tony offers her the last of the snacks that are on the ship. And I don't know if she needs them or not, because she's like some large percentage robot at this point, but she pushes them away. And even at the end of the movie, when she confronts the you know other timeline nebula, without really too much hesitation, she she shoots and kills the other nebula like small stuff like that i think is a big deal to her and i just like the way that that character that character's arc has been portrayed throughout these movies and it's just a really short scene but it really shows like start to finish what happened so it was just something that i noticed extra this time um that i liked would you believe i agree
3: no not at all damn i love nebula's arc in this movie um and a lot of my notes are are basically the things my personal notes are basically things you just said like so i won't restate everything you said it's just man it's amazing and and one one other moment that you didn't already mention that comes right after this is when they get off of the ship she sits down and holds rocket's hand and that's not what would have happened with earlier nebula but it's not it doesn't come out of nowhere it doesn't she doesn't character change just like, okay, we need Nebula to be a good guy now. Exactly for all the reasons you said. It's done very efficiently to show the, her learning things and changing. And it's just so amazing watching. Um, and, and it helps that Karen Gillan is apparently an incredible actress. I didn't watch enough with her prior to this. Um, so I I just, yeah, I, I'm glad you said all that because that's the 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 brief nebula moments at the start of this movie are get me going on the emotions real fast.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and and everybody kind of gets little snips here and there, right? Like we talked about that in an infinity war, like there are a few characters that have a lot more development because it's the end of their era, right? Like the main Avengers, but um, it's just a little snippet. And I, I just like how much they packed into that small amount of time for, for a a character that becomes very important Mm -hmm. to the story.
0: And it's interesting because this movie is dense, right? It is densely packed with things like this. And there's a lot of character development that needs to happen in this film that cannot, you can't take a lot of time for because it's already a three-hour-long movie. There's already so much that needs to happen. So the character development pieces that you have to have have to be like this. They have to be these things where they're happening quickly, but they have lots of meaning to them. And I think this is a good example of that. Mm -hmm. Also, what's Mm
3: -hmm. fascinating, and and I feel like Chris has said some about this before, is... The characters that end up being important in this movie, because this is this is the culmination of the MCU to this point. This is a very, very big movie, and the characters they've chosen to drive this movie, okay, they kept the original... Because, you know, they killed a bunch of them in the last movie, basically. They kept the original Avengers. Okay, that makes sense. We need to close out their arcs. And then they surrounded them with Paul Rudd and a, a CGI raccoon and Nebula the Space Pirate, who was supposed to die in her first movie that she was in. Like, that's... That that sounds really weird out
2: of context when you say it, and it works so well. Watch the first Guardians of the Galaxy, and and no one I think Ed would have watched that movie and said, Oh wow, this bad guy, she's gonna be an Avenger. Yes. And she is absolutely she is part of the Avengers now. Yep. Uh she she got to wear the logo and everything. So <laughs> I mean, that's about as official as it gets in the movies, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, once they give you a suit that has that A on it, you know, you're an Avenger. So she's an Avenger. That's true. Rocket's an Avenger. Um, I really want that to be a thing in Guardians 3 where Rocket is just lording it over. And when I was like, (laughs) oh, you know, when I was in the Avengers. (laughs) (laughs) And like... Uh, But... He would. He he totally would. Uh, But, oh, gosh, I one of the very first notes i wrote in this um was tony and nebula bonding my heart uh because just you know her sharing the oxygen and the food and like even like propping him up when it looks like he's about to die and she's like you know at least he should get this view of of the universe before before he goes and and just little thoughtful things that she does and just it it, it's really great and and i'm glad you brought up rocket holding her hand uh when she gets to earth because that also uh is just such a subtle moment and it it really really just i find it very very moving and uh also there there's a great moment later on uh where she and roadie have a moment Mm -hmm. that that i think is that's one of my favorite scenes in this movie yeah, when, when they go to, uh, like, during the time heist, when he has that line about, you know, when he realizes that she's kind of mechanized, too, just like he's got the, you know, the mechanical leg braces after his injury in Civil War. And he says, well, we, we do what we can with what we have or, uh, or something along those lines. I wrote down the exact quote somewhere, but I have like six, seven pages of notes, so I can't find it right now. We work with what we've got is what it is. And it's just uh, you know another moment of understanding, and it, it's just really nice. I, I've already said I love I love offbeat character uh, pairings, but even more when they find some sort of you know some sort of common ground, some sort of emotional thing to ground that partnership in that that character uh, that character pairing. And I, I just really enjoy it. Uh, oh man, her her arc is just so great in this movie, and and you know. Over the course of all of the movies, uh, particularly starting in Volume 2, I think. Volume 2 to Infinity War to this. It's just wonderful.
0: So from this point, Tony goes to the front of the ship and records a message for Pepper on his battered helmet. He tells Pepper this will probably be his last recording, as the Benatar's fuel cells were damaged in the fight with Thanos, and they are now floating dead in space with the oxygen about to deplete. It has been about three weeks since the snap and a montage shows Tony and Nebula bonding. Nebula repairing the wounds Thanos gave Stark and also offering him the last of their rations. And Tony lets Pepper know the last thing he sees before he drifts to sleep for the last time will be her, as usual. (sighs) As Stark drifts to sleep, Nebula places him in a cockpit chair before a bright light appears, waking him up, turning out to be... Captain Marvel outside the ship. We
2: get a little bit of that Captain Marvel theme, too.
0: We do. Inside the Avengers compound, Steve Rogers is shaving his beard off and hears a noise outside. He runs out, joined by Natasha Romanov, James Rhodes, and Pepper Potts, to see Carol Danvers bring the Benatar in for a landing as Stark and Nebula stagger off the ship. Steve helps Tony off the ship, the first time they have seen one another since the end of Civil War start tells Rogers, I lost the kid. That's like one of the most gut-wrenching lines in this whole movie is when he tells Steve that he lost the kid. And you're just like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And Rogers corrects him with, we lost. Um, Rocket Raccoon sits down next to Nebula and the two hold hands. And it's interesting, you know, we talked about this already, but those two characters are the only ones that sort of understand what they, as, as people, have lost, right? Like, the two of them are the only ones that can understand what they have personally lost as far as the other Guardians are concerned. Like, no one else that is present at this little gathering has any indication about any of the Guardians, except for maybe Tony a little bit. But, in truth, Nebula and Rocket are the only ones that they have left. Natasha brings Tony and Carol up to speed on the results of Thanos' snap. Half of all life in the universe was successfully wiped out. No one knows where Thanos is, and Thor is sitting alone, broken over his feeling, um, broken over feeling like a failure for failing to go for Thanos's head before he could snap his fingers. When Steve asks Tony for help on how to combat Thanos, Stark yells at him, saying there is no hope against him, and blaming Rogers for not being together as a team when they lost. Iron Man is still angry that Captain America is reactive and did not allow him to proactively combat threats because of his precious freedom. (laughs) Uh, Tony collapses on the floor at the end of his rant and is taken to the medical bay. Carol leaves to go kill Thanos, despite not knowing where he is. The Avengers stop her, saying it's their fight too. Nebula tells them her father talked of retiring to the garden after finishing his work. Rocket shows a planet where two days prior a power signature similar to the snap was detected, and Nebula confirms it's the Garden. Danvers convinces Danvers convinces the Avengers they have a chance against Thanos now that she's here, and they can use the Infinity Gauntlet to bring everyone back. Natasha reasons that even if there's a small chance to fix everything, the Avengers need to take it. Thor speaks for the first time, excited for his chance at his chance for redemption, at expressing his approval of Carol. Steve says. Let's go get the son of a bitch, and the title card plays with the hunt for Thanos' son.
2: Oh, that's such a great, point. and no one said language to Steve. Yeah. Come on, the uh, I, I I do enjoy that you know Carol is the new the new kid in town in in some ways. You know the other Avengers have not really seen her in action. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had to stop myself from saying that. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> you lead with I'm that, sorry. Uh, um, <laughs> and it gets worse. Um, no, but the uh, you know, Rhodey's like, "Hey, you know, we're all about the superhero life." Uh, but but Thor is like the arbiter of of power in some ways. They they so when he stands up and he summons Stormbreaker right next to her head, and she doesn't even flinch and just smiles. And he's like, "I like this one." It's all right. Yep you're an avenger now <laughs> even if you were the original avenger in some ways
0: i still agree with bailey i think her movie should have come after this one <laughs> but another de- a debate for another yes. time yes was the
2: debate <laughs> for our last episode
0: <laughs> the benatarly time heist <laughs> we can do a time heist in the last episode <laughs> yeah. The Benatar leaves with Captain America, Black Widow, Bruce Banner, Rocket Raccoon, Nebula, and War Machine on board, led by Captain Marvel outside. For the Avengers, it's their first time in space. The ship arrives at the garden, and Widow tells Cap, this is going to work. He responds, it has to, because I don't know what I'm going to do if it doesn't. Uh, Captain Marvel confirms Thanos is completely undefended, and the group head down. An injured Thanos picks fruit from the fields and uses them to make a meal in his home, seemingly with no use of his gauntlet left hand. I also want to commend Thanos for putting in a pinch of salt. You yeah. saw him like grab a little pinch of salt into yeah. his little well, meal. His pinch
2: has to be massive. <laughs> Good for him. Forget the seasoning.
0: Good for him for seasoning his
1: food. Yeah. He was on. He was on Chopped Kitchen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he
2: <laughs> shifts what I've prepared he- for you today. He's <laughs>
0: <Here's> my head. <laughs> he is interrupted by Captain Marvel, War Machine, and Banner using the Hulkbuster armor, breaking in and and effortlessly pinning him down. Thor cuts off the gauntlet with Stormbreaker, and Rocket flips it over to reveal the stones are gone. One question: Thanos explains the stones serve no more purpose other than temptation my girl and use their bone powers to reduce them to atoms causing his massive injury scene. <laughs> thanos lets them know his work will be done forever stating i am inevitable nebula asserts thanos is not a liar he thanks her and begins to express remorse over his harsh treatment over her but is interrupted when thor decapitates the titan Thor angrily explains, I went for the head before shambling alone out of the shack, leaving Nebula to close her father's eyes and Romanov sobbing. You know, the I am inevitable line is said a few times in this movie. And it's sort of this like recurring line that kind of goes through the movie that sort of drives the movie forward. You know what it reminds me of? and for you, all you Star Wars nuts out there, The Last Jedi, when they always say, this is the, uh, we are the spark that'll light the fire, that'll bring down oh, the mm-hmm. First Order. Yeah. That's basically there, I am inevitable in that movie, but in here, right? Like, it's like a similar type of use of like a phrase over and over again to sort of like drive the plot forward. Well, and I feel like I didn't really catch it the first time I
3: watched it, you know, and then when I rewatched the movie, I realized, oh, he said that earlier, because obviously at the end when he says it, that's really notable, and, you know, a line that will be probably referenced forever, Uh and I did not realize until rewatch that it had been building on having said it previously. Yeah, And it's also interesting, it's what, um, it's what he says at the end of both of his lives in this movie, it's not literally his last words in, um, you know, this timeline, but it's one of the last things he states and then of course is the last thing he says at the end as well so his saying I am inevitable before dying is inevitable
2: yeah the uh
0: Whoa.
2: I also like that he like watched himself say that and is like oh I'm gonna remember that
0: yep <laughs>
2: and <laughs> I will use it that's at true, the opportune moment
0: <laughs> That's got to be why He's he like, did oh, it. He's "Oh, he's
2: like, gosh. "Oh, man, I'm so clever.
0: <laughs> <I'll> get my <laughs> head this
2: time."
0: <laughs> I got to write that <laughs> down. <Yeah. laughs>
1: oh, that thing I said was so great. I'll make sure to say it again.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. Um now Robbie, this is a a pretty decent bait and switch, right? Like uh, up until Uh, Infinity War, just sort of in general, we've been used to the heroes winning, right? And we're sort of expecting the heroes to win in this movie, but the first thing they do at the beginning of this movie is lose again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and we're not just used to the heroes winning, we're used to the,
3: you know, how a movie is set up. And they knew what they were doing. They set this, first off, we all went in assuming, okay, this movie is about, they're going to go find Thanos, and now that they have Captain Marvel, they can actually fight him. And I remember the group of us talking like, okay, they're probably going to go through the old thing where it's like they convince him to just use the power stone and then beat him with that. And just use the time stone and beat him with that. And like, okay, so what? how are they going to set this up to beat the Infinity Gauntlet? And we all thought that's what this movie was going to be. And so, and then they set it up that way. The start of this movie absolutely feels like that's what it's going to be. You have your hero shot, you have your explanation of the stakes and what's going on. Um, Captain Marvel or Captain Marvel, Captain America, too many captains now. Captain America saying, you know, uh this has to work because I don't know what it's gonna do, uh what I'm gonna do if it doesn't, like that's clearly setting up like the emotional core of this film and you know the title card plays as the heroes go to save the world. They know that they were setting this up for people to be okay, here goes the movie. And then a few minutes later they, they end that arc. Like it's over and just stunningly, suddenly over. Not, it's 15 minutes into this film and Thanos gets his head cut off and everyone's lost. And so you're immediately brought to this, wait, no, that's not the movie. This is not the movie that I came to see. What? Like, it's completely startling. <laughs> and I remember my theater was full of every, every viewing I saw, um, especially the first one. The theater at that moment when his head gets cut off is full of this, like, nervous laughter that I would describe as probably everyone feeling the same way I did. Which is just, just this, wait, what, what, what? like where is this movie going you don't know you don't understand because they completely pulled the rug out from under you on expertly setting up the movie that you just assume is happening and then a few minutes after the title card ripping it away and saying no you're going to watch something else and so you're left there wondering like okay what are they going to do like is this whole movie going to be just dealing with the aftermath of the snap and that's what happens and is everyone actually dusted like what is this film going to be and then they go into time travel but um and one of the things I thought was very interesting about this from the commentary is they said that the film we all expected is what they were originally writing. They were originally writing that, you know, everyone's going to get together, going to go fight Thanos. How do we get them to fight the Infinity Stones? And they did not want to go with the trope that, uh, as you guys have discussed before, comic book Thanos routinely beats himself. He routinely like, yeah, no, I I, I can beat you with the soul Stone alone. Watch me. And then he loses. Um, and also, there's this deep-seated, uh, almost, like, not feeling worthy, so he loses on his own. And they didn't want to do those tropes. They didn't want to do the one stone at a time trope or anything like that. And so they were trying to figure out, how do we write this? And someone in the, in the room just said, wouldn't it be great if we could just kill him? And then they said, oh, wait, yes, it would be great if we could just kill him. And then they wrote based on that. And so they rewrote the movie from the standpoint of kill Thanos early <laughs> and then go from there. And I think the results were great, but I just... I still, I will probably always remember how I felt in the theater of that moment of just having my expectations being following exactly what I expected just perfectly. And then all of a sudden just dropping off the cliff of, nope, you're wrong. And then having another two plus hours left from that point.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I remember the theater just sort of gasped, like, when when he got his head lopped <laughs> off. It's like, oh, well, what? Uh, what, what? <laughs> right. And... And I remember when when Rocket says, what did you do? And Thor says, I went for the head. And I remember people in my theater laughed. But I don't know if they were laughing because they thought it was funny or if it was just a... Yes, right. <laughs> nervous. Nervous now. laughter. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, because because I, and I think Hemsworth is great in that scene because there is so much pain... Uh, he finally got his revenge on Thanos, but it is the most hollow it could possibly be. Yes, Because as much as he thought before Thanos had taken everything from him, now he really, really has. Right. And there's no turning back from that. And that is what kicks off slash continues Thor's arc from Ragnarok to here. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I still to say, you could watch Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame as a Thor trilogy, uh, and just watch his arc through those three movies, and I think it's it's really strong stuff. Well,
3: and of all those things it sets up at the start, it sets up, okay, Thor's going to get his redemption. He's broken because of the end of the movie, but he's going to get his redemption here when they find Thanos. And instead, it's, nope, Thor's even in a worse place than he was at the start of this movie. Get wait, ready till yeah. you see him again. Um, it's just, it's stunning. And then, and then also, the way they play the five years later, like, the way it's just, like... <sighs> And I don't. I remember it felt like an eternity in this in the theater. Was it flated to black as as <laughs> um, Black Widow was sobbing, which still gets me to this point. Like Scarlett Johansson's emotion in this scene is some great, great acting. Um, mm-hmm. And then it slowly flades to black, and then it's just a massive pause before it slowly one word at a time,
2: one five word at a time. Years later, and it's just like no way. No
0: yeah.
2: way. I, w- when when five appeared on screen, I remember thinking they're not going to actually do it, are they? And then years, I was like, they did. <laughs> you're like, you're like five. Come on, come on. Hours, come yeah. on, hours. Maybe days, come on. Maybe yeah. days. Was like weeks at most, maybe months, but no, five <laughs> years. Because I remember there was some speculation that maybe there'd be a time jump based on Scarlett Johansson's hair, uh, but. <laughs> in the trailers but there was no proof no confirmation so they actually did it it's like oh my god they really are pretty much every expectation that people had that oh the ending of infinity war doesn't matter because they're just going to undo it in end game uh the, that title card alone made
0: made it clear that nope it matters yeah well it's, what it's... We... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I just think it's weird. So w- we can call the Hawkeye scene on the barn the opening of this movie, but this is the yep. real opening of this movie. The Hawkeye scene is like the short before a Pixar movie. This, <laughs> is <the> actual, <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is the actual yeah. opening of the movie. This is the appetizer. <laughs> right. <laughs> a little hors d'oeuvre. This is a little sausage on a
2: toothpick. <laughs> uh with mayonnaise for some reason I
0: was, for oh. some
1: reason <laughs> i was just curious because i don't even remember at this point what my prediction for i feel like everybody kind of puts their own okay this is what's going to happen in this movie in their head before they see a movie that they've been waiting right waiting for I don't even remember what my endgame prediction was for what was going to happen Do you guys because vaguely. this like totally bait and switched me so well that I can't even imagine what I was thinking before. No,
0: I'm... I don't remember what my prediction was because this was so completely away from what my prediction was that I was like, <laughs> I have no idea yeah. <laughs> at
3: this point. Yep. I can vaguely remember my predictions, but mostly I'm the same. Mostly this movie just smacked me in the face 15 minutes in and has erased
2: most of my memory prior to that i feel like i didn't even bother making predictions because i was like i don't know where they're gonna go from here um i assumed oh they'll get the gauntlet and fix everything somehow uh but i i couldn't know the details of it and so when he said i destroyed the stones i was like oh crap <laughs> i i i hearing some rumors uh, speculation that there's gonna be time travel and i wrote that off because i was like oh that would be so bad i would hate that <laughs> and, uh, I was I was wrong, thank God. Uh, you know, and it wasn't like the time travel in Die Hard. No, <laughs> <laughs> that is the most inexplicable joke in this movie. <laughs> it's like, what do you think Die Hard is? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, and they, there have been times when there is when. when I've thought a movie's going to do something and it does. And I'm disappointed that they did it. And this was one time where I thought I was going to be disappointed if they did something and no, they just pulled it off so well. Uh
1: Yeah. I might also just be thinking that I had a prediction in my head before because the next movie that we'll move on to. Yes. uh, I (laughs) I know exactly. Uh Robbie and I won't go super into it right now because it's going to be one of my talking points on that episode, but Robbie and I like, sat down in his house for like 20, maybe 30 minutes and absolutely broke the trailer into a thousand pieces and reassembled them. We were so sure that we knew every detail of what was going to happen in Far From Home. And it wasn't exact. It was kind of there, but it wasn't exact. It was funny
2: and because so, you were wrong and I, then you were right. It was so funny. I <laughs> I remember seeing, seeing that and going, I need to know what Robbie and Peaches thought.
0: So we've got five years later... A pan over New York shows wreckage of a city that lost half its population at once. Steve Rogers is leading a survivor support group discussing what they've lost. Rogers reminds everyone they need to move on. But in like the the worst way, he's like, you guys all need to move on. I had it so much worse than all of you. So you all need to move on. He's like, look, I was strapped in ice after meeting the love of my life, and then I tra- trapped in ice for seventy years. So, like, you guys all need it, to suck.
1: <laughs> it, it might accidentally be the like snarkiest thing yes. he's ever I said. I never took it that I way,
2: but yeah, yeah I, get <laughs> I took it as uh, I've been through these things. I understand. Uh, she's sure. trying to be empathetic, but no, the way you put it, that's kind of kind of. Two two things we should. I still carry a pocket watch with her in it. If you guys wanted to know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jim Starlin, creator of Thanos, has a cameo in this scene. Uh, that's important. Is this in the notes? I'm sorry. It I'm is, but this, this, this is in, in the notes. notes. But you could go ahead. Oh yeah, that was that was it. And then there's one other thing about
0: this scene. I didn't know if we were going to talk about or not. Doesn't <laughs> about Joe Russo and Joe Russo talking about how he went on a date with a man and. And um, them
2: trumpeting that yeah. as gay representation and everyone's like, eh, a nameless character right. that's a director cameo doesn't count.
0: <laughs> sure. That was Joe yeah. Russo. Yeah. That was Joe Russo, yeah.
2: Hello. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so technically in the movies that is the first openly gay character. Uh, the first LGBT openly character in the movies. There have been some on the TV shows. Um, and it's one of those things where Disney and Marvel were like, "Hey, look what we did!" And <laughs> everyone was like, "It doesn't really count when it's a cameo uh, of a guy that doesn't have a name. That doesn't pass the, the test." Um, but in, well, I think in Eternals, I think I think there are, there are going to be actual named important gay characters, well, and then Valkyrie yeah, as well via
3: the J.K. Rowling approach.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No. No. An eternal. Yeah. Well, I think we'll actually see that from Five Valkyrie and Love and Thunder. Years. Yeah. Later. <laughs> Did you know Asgardians used to just go to the bathroom wherever they were standing, <laughs> and then Loki would come by and magic it away. No Loki anymore.
1: They have to use the actual stalls. Yep.
2: Anyway. That, anyway. That was all. So
0: then we cut. To San Francisco. In a San Francisco storage facility, a rat crawls over the control console for the Quantum Tunnel In Scott Lang's van. You're the real MVP. Technically, is it not Lee's van? Oh, yeah, it is. (laughs) Lang is released from the tunnel. He was stuck in in mid-credits in Ant-Man and the Wasp and leaves to find trash and wreckage on the streets, not knowing what's going on. We get our first community
2: cameo there with Ken Jeong as the... uh... Um, as the security guard, our first, our first of two community cameos in this movie. If you don't count Brie Larson,
0: <laughs> he finds his way to memorial of all those lost in San Francisco to the snap and looks desperately for his daughter Cassie. He doesn't find her name, but does find his own. Scott finds Cassie's home where she is five years older than he last left her, and the two emotionally reunite in what is one of the saddest losses of all of the MCU. <laughs> The loss of that little girl who played Cassie yeah. Lang. Yeah, what a damn. Also, shame. The,
2: she looks older, than five years old, Yes, I, I agree with that.
0: So much older than yeah, five she years. Older. She <laughs> yes. looks like eight or ten. Angela, yeah. like,
2: look like it's been ten years. <laughs> also, the uh,
3: "you're <laughs> so big" line was a Paul Rudd ad lib. I'm not. I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm not and, surprised well, and it's either. interesting because this whole section is the probably the biggest comic relief of the MCU playing very very dramatic moments like it's really jarring to watch not just any MCU character going through like they didn't just pick anyone to go through seeing the world falling apart and trying to find his loved ones they picked you know Paul Rudd playing Scott Lang to that and it's a very uh I think powerful use of the character
2: yeah. And I think, and you just saying that just made me realize that he's kind of the audience surrogate there for a minute because all the other Avengers mm-hmm. have seen the five years, but he's the one who just like <laughs> us is now just coming into it. He knows even less mm-hmm. than we do, but he is, he's how we're introduced to the new status quo of life on earth.
0: And we've talked about this in his own movies, but he and in and, and, and Civil War as well. But he is sort of the audience surrogate in a lot of those, specifically Civil War, where he plays the role of what would it be like if the audience were a part of the Avengers and not really know what's going yeah. on? And sort of, you know, we've we've discussed that before. So it seems like it's something they enjoy doing because of right. the way Paul Rudd is. Um, and because of the way he plays, Scott Lang, it looks like it's something that they enjoy doing. Making, making um, Scott Lang the, the sort of the audience's yes. looking. Also, glass, can we discuss
3: right? that they don't have time to pick up the trash on the side of the road, but they had time to build a giant memorial?
1: <laughs> yeah, I I also thought that in this watch, I was like, I I know that a lot of crazy stuff happened, but you think in five years, you State Stadium least clean is still a pile street, of cars, like,
3: but there's a memorial in San Francisco.
1: Yeah, I don't quite... I feel like they'd still have enough people to clean up the mess, because there's now a lot of job openings. Well, it just
2: randomly happened that uh, of the 50% of people that disappeared, 80% were garbage wow. collectors. So, wow. Uh, exactly. They, they didn't They didn't do it by demographic. It was just half of people, and uh, wherever the chips fall, they it just happened
1: they, to be most of the garbage collectors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Miraculously, one hundred percent of the subway employees kept their job yeah. and yep, yep. their life. Baskin Robbins
2: completely wiped out, and, uh, and now they'll never find yeah. out. Um,
0: and then everyone else was a superhero or superhero Jason. Yep. Right. And thank God he left all the superheroes alive in the Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> in the Avengers compound, Natasha Romanoff is leading a new security council consisting of Nebula, Rocket, Carol Danvers, James Rhodes, and Okoye. I'm interested to see Black Panther 2, what has been going on in Wakanda for the past five years. I I find that really interesting, and I really want to know what that's like, and what the dynamic is going to be like now that the royal family is back.
1: Didn't they say that the earthquake thing was like an intentional possibility of a Namor? That's what a
2: lot of people have read into it, is that the, the earthquake in the Pacific Ocean might be Namor.
1: I I thought that it wasn't, like, a direct nod, but it was like, in case you want to go this route, here is your little trail of breadcrumbs.
0: Well, and it this movie does a really good job, and this is going to be one of them. We're we're about to talk about Romanov, who is still aggressively committed to the defense of the planet, while the others need to calm her down some. This movie does a really good job of showing you the different ways people deal with grief. Mm -hmm. We talk about Mm -hmm. how natasha right now we're talking about her shoving herself into her work because it's the only way she knows how to grieve we show um excuse me scott not scott steve at a a meeting to kind of help other people to 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 kind of like talk about his grief we show thor sort of self-destructing himself into grief we show hulk who is learning how to deal with grief by sort of ignoring it right kind of putting the grief to the side and pretending like nothing happened and like trying to move on that way. They're showing this sort of spectrum of yeah. grief there and all the different ways that people deal with it.
2: A couple connections I just made, by the way, Natasha throws herself into her mm-hmm. work. She takes on the Nick Fury role. Cause Fury has gone. Uh, mm-hmm. We know that, that from winter soldier, especially we see that she really admires and cares about Nick Fury. Uh, so she wants to carry on his work. I know where you're going. Steve uh, starting a support group. He's, uh, he's picking up where, where Sam left off, because when he first meets Sam Wilson in Winter Soldier, he does a support group for veterans who are dealing with, with post-traumatic stress and other, uh, you know, just just the realities of, like, coming back to civilian life after after being at war. And Steve <laughs> picks up that good work where, where Sam cannot, because Sam was, was vanished, blipped, whatever we want to call it. Dusted. Uh, Dusted, Yeah. Yeah. I I never really thought about that until just now when you were talking about how they're dealing with their grief. It's, I just think that's interesting that they're Mm -hmm. in some ways honoring the people that they lost because that is something they would want to do.
0: Absolutely. And those characters would, whereas somebody like Bruce Banner, who has been on the run his entire life and has no one that he would necessarily call family at this point is going to try to kind of push it all away. Right. Thor is going to take it the way that he takes it because he feels like he's a failure. Yeah. And so he, you know, self-destructs himself a little bit. I mean, and it sort of makes sense the way that they kind of go through. We're going to get to a point in a little bit that Peaches will talk about. about. Um, I don't know if it's in this episode that we talk about it in general, but we're going to talk at some point about Thor and Thor's character and sort of the the controversy surrounding Thor. And I think this is just another reason that kind of shows that people grieve and go through these types of things in different ways and that doesn't necessarily make it a negative right it's not necessarily them poking fun at anything rather it is showing that people deal with these things in different ways yep. and and it's all done and, in a way that makes sense for the character
3: like and they right. did that intentionally that's something the rus has talked about is they wanted everyone to handle the snap differently I um, mean, they also said something about, like, if a character is saying something that anyone could have said, you need to rewrite the line because it needs to be what that character would say. And I think those are both things that they did a
1: great job of. And, and I think it's good that you brought it up. This is crazy that the last couple episodes have reflected our real life so well. <laughs> yes. Um, because this is, I mean, we're talking about all these characters grieving in different ways. And, and, and that's what the entire world is kind of going through not to get too off topic with the COVID stuff right now. You've got people that are um, very optimistic about it. You have people that are very the opposite about it. People are, some people are handling it going into sadly, going into a more depressive um, mindset. Some people are trying to come out of this learning a thousand things like everybody's handling it in their own way in real life like this is so weirdly reflective of what we're going through it's just it's eerie to me
2: Yeah, I kind of want to circle back to what you were saying about Bruce and how he deals with his grief I think I might disagree with you but I'm willing to be convinced I I think I could be convinced that I'm wrong Uh, but how I read it was not necessarily him ignoring it Um, but you said that he's been on the run his whole life and I think this is the first time he's ever stopped running that's sure absolutely
0: that. well i think he is when i say he's ignoring it what i'm saying he's he's sort of a, and i'm I, this is how i react to, to bad things i am a smile so much that instead like at one point you're not forcing yourself to smile you're just doing it naturally and that's sort of what i feel he is doing he is <laughs> he's being so positive that whether he wants to be positive or not it's just starting to happen naturally okay
2: Oh, so, so it's like the opposite of, that's my secret, I'm always angry.
0: Right. Okay. He is forcing himself to be happy, yeah. whether he is or not. He is, he is sort of forcing that self out of him, because one, it's what he needs to kind of come to terms with him and the Hulk, yeah. and two, it's what he needs to kind of come to terms with the grief, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just a different way that somebody deals with grief. It's just, you know, like, not necessarily pretending like things didn't happen, so maybe I worded it incorrectly, but more so... <laughs> Kind of pushing past it. Okay. Kind of closing the door in one way and trying to push past it and push forward. Okay.
1: Yeah. You created the world's longest paraphrase of fake it till you make it, and I am all here. I'm all for it.
0: (laughs) Basically. Um so we're at this committee. Carol explains she's gonna be gone for a while as she helps other planets. After the meeting disbands, Rhodey talks to Nat about finding a room of drug lord bodies, saying it was the work of someone Romanov is trying to find. He cautions her that they may not want to find him, not want to find him after what he's become. She tries to keep her emotions even as she asks him to please let her know when she finds the suspect Then breaks down when Rhodey signs off. Steve arrives, and I think this is a wonderful scene between Steve and Natasha, because these characters, we've seen them sort of be friends before but this is another one where they're just they're just such good friends Mm -hmm. and you can see the chemistry that they have and i'll say it now so that we don't ever have to say it again but it's refreshing that it is not romantic chemistry it is refreshing that it's just them, and they're just really good friends, and you can tell that they're really good friends, and there's nothing romantic going on there. That they are just friends. Not to say that there's not romance that needs to happen, because some of the romances are warranted, and I think they they have their place. Mm-hmm. But it is also nice to just see um, two people of the opposite sex just be friends and just be yep. good friends.
2: Yeah, there, there. Are, when you think about it, not there. There are certainly some, but so many male and female friendships on like in media you know you get people and and not that people don't ship you know cap and, and widow I, I know there sure. are people that do that uh there are people that ship cap and bucky and you know any other combination of characters that's what fans do and that's fine you know uh you you, you see what you you want and
0: uh okay but what if we shipped uh bucky and steve but they were both ponies okay
2: uh, people do that too <laughs> What, oh, you know, whatever. Enjoy Enjoy the movies how you want to. I, I This podcast is now about clopping. Not,
0: oh my God. What is clopping? I don't want to know. Don't tell me, but also tell me.
3: It's the sound Clopping's, that a horseman makes. Clopping is is uh, doing slash fiction about ponies.
0: Oh. Or that, I guess. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. All right, Chris, go back to your actual point. point I was
2: trying to make is that... Uh, Oh it's it is refreshing that there there's not like sexual tension between between Stephen and, and Natasha and and this goes back to them I, I really love just their arc from Avengers to he doesn't trust her winter soldier he doesn't trust her until she proves it and then from then on they are friends and they have you know they have a little bit of playful banter in Ultron uh we don't see uh, uh, we, oh, and, and I really like them in, in Civil War, even though they are technically on opposite sides in that. Uh, you know, like when she shows up at Peggy's funeral because she thinks he needs a friend. You know, that's a great moment. And then we get a lot of this in, in Endgame. And it's just really, really, you know, great great to see that. Well, and I think it's important you say that because I think the,
3: um, the Winter Soldier aspect of their relationship is how we get to this Natasha we see now because his insistence of at that point she's living in gray she's got red on her ledger his insistence of I need you to be better because I need to trust you is her that convinces her in that film that I am now going to be a hero and this film is now her dealing with all I know how to be now is a hero and my only family is heroes and I am desperately clinging to that because it maybe doesn't need to exist anymore and half of them are gone Mm -hmm. and that's the Natasha we see now where she got into the actually being a hero thing instead of just a nebulous gray area spy. And it's now that that's gone, she is struggling with that. Yeah. And she doesn't want to move on.
0: She doesn't. No. And Steve arrives saying he has been advising people to move on, but the two of them have not. <laughs> <laughs> interesting he tries to convince her that she should move on but she explains that her new job is the first time she's had a family when she used to have nothing and it allows her to continually try to be better than who she once was the two are interrupted by scott arriving at the gates of the compound and chris this is where we get our nice healthy injection of humor into this movie and it's the blessed based god scott lang yes <laughs>
2: that I think this movie has a very difficult balancing act to pull off and and they do it's perfectly balanced as all things should be uh but uh, uh it, it has to balance all of different tones because uh this especially this opening act there there is a little bit of comedy uh, like at the very beginning with tony and uh, uh Tony and Nebula uh but there is certainly an undercurrent of tragedy to that too because it looks like they're gonna die. Uh, there, there's some comedy in the juxtaposition of their characters, but it, again, it's, it makes you smile. It makes you laugh a little bit, but it's also, as, as we, when at length earlier saying, it is really deep and sympathetic stuff, uh, for Nebula in particular. Uh, and then it gives the loss of the, it gives the hero's loss it gives the character's loss and it gives the world slash universe's loss room to breathe. And it gives it the gravity that it, that it deserves. Uh, we see the support group. We see, again, how, how the different characters are reacting to it. And then, and then uh, once we start to see that maybe there's some hope uh, when when Scott shows up and reveals his, uh, his idea about, hey, maybe, maybe we can go back to before Thanos and stop this that's when it will start to kick into gear with more comedy. But it never does stop uh, with, uh, with the pathos throughout the movie as well. And we're dealing seriously, uh, because again, there are still many more characters that we need to be reintroduced to after this time jump. We've talked about them, but we haven't seen Thor yet. We haven't seen Hulk yet. Uh, we haven't seen how they're dealing with, with their problems. So so there are you know plenty of serious scenes. And the serious scenes do have some comedy to them. But not so much that I think it undercuts uh the emotion uh, so it's uh uh the theme of loss it never and never really goes away throughout the whole movie uh, and we see it particularly through Thor and Hawkeye but but through through all the characters in one way or another. Thor and Hawkeye are the two that that really come to mind for me though is uh, for kind of being the standard bearers of that theme,
0: yeah, I think. Scott plays a really a, an interesting point. First off, it's wonderful to see him part of the Avengers in general. Oh, yes. But second off, he plays this really... Once again, we've already talked about how he is sort of the, the the looking glass for the audience, right? Like what an audience member would be like if they were part of the Avengers and they had kind of gone through this and we see all of these things through his eyes. We also see him add sort of a, a brevity to all of the madness that's happening, And Peaches described it on the Ant-Man episode really well when we described it as warmth. And I think there is a warmth about Scott Lang that sort of takes the edge off of what this movie might have been had he not been in there and had the humor not been in there, right? Because you take the humor out of this movie, this movie gets really dark and it gets really serious and it gets really sad and it it almost becomes not... You're not able to sit through three hours of that, right? There needs to be... Mm -hmm the humor there needs to be the warmth there needs to be lightness one because you just can't sit through a movie that's that dark and that sad for that long and ever want to watch it again we already
2: said this movie doesn't feel like it's three hours it feels shorter but if it had been a bummer the whole time it would have felt like seven hours exactly right I'm never going to watch marriage story again for that reason (laughs) sure
0: and the warmth needed to remind you of what the characters were fighting for Mm -hmm. right it was to experience what that warmth again, right, with their loved ones, with everyone. So without that warmth, their their fight for their loved ones and their families and for all of civilizations across the universe wouldn't have been as impactful. So I think Scott plays a really, really important role in this film of adding that to remind you of what everyone's fighting for to begin with. It's a good okay. point.
2: Superheroes are supposed to... I say supposed to. I mean, superheroes can be many things, uh, so I don't want to be too reductive, but hero stories like this are in the end, they're supposed to give you hope that, right. that you can overcome these terrible things. Right.
1: It's necessary for the story, but it also keeps Scott true to his character as Scott because he's just the kind of person who's going to joke around a little even when things are really serious. Yeah.
0: All right, that's right. how he deals that's with
1: it. That's how growth. he is. Right, that's his coping mechanism. Sure so you wouldn't want to put it's true uh, because
2: the fun of this is seeing these characters come together in ways that we haven't before but it's only fun if those characters are still those characters right Mm -hmm.
0: or if they're fun versions of those characters like thor
2: i would argue that that's thor now but
0: (laughs) i mean that's fair that is how thor is now yeah So, Leigh explains that he was stuck in the quantum realm for five years, but he only experienced five hours. What is that word? Posits? Posits. Yes, he posits. posits. <laughs> what is that? The word of the day? Is it like he like ponders? Is that what that means?
1: We've already had one word of the day, and that was clopping. <laughs> and after that one, we don't need anyone
0: you
2: put forth as a hypothesis, sort of.
1: Got it. Hypothesizes. That's what I should have
3: written. Here, I'm going to no, write that. I while can you put.
0: Talk. Po- I can say posits. I just didn't know what that. <laughs> I know some of these words. Uh, he, he posits that because time is experienced differently in the quantum realm, perhaps they could enter at one time and come out at a different time, allowing them to undo the snap. Great line here. He says by they the way, need
2: something when he says. I know this, this will sound crazy. And Nat says, I get emails from a raccoon, so nothing sounds crazy to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love how he's frantically explaining what's happening and then he interrupts himself to say whose sandwiches <laughs>
0: that <laughs> A friend of mine
2: by the way pointed out that there is a lot of eating in this movie and a lot of movies don't show people eating, but like not only is there eating in this movie, but like we get Natasha making herself a sandwich to eat later. Uh, and he sent me a thing that points out like every single time someone eats in this movie, and it's a lot.
0: It's the Ocean's Eleven <laughs> of oh, yeah, Superheroes. They've movies. got
1: the tacos. Yeah. They've got the uh-huh. tacos, the sandwich, the breakfast that Hulk is uh-huh. eating,
0: the pizza that Corgi um, and, um, yeah, and, Me- Del- and yeah, and and
2: yeah, and Thor and Meek, um, Meek.
0: That's what I'm thinking of. Tony yeah. invites them over
2: for lunch. Uh, mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Let's eat the lunch, but
1: juice pops. They do get uh-huh. juice pops. Oh my gosh! Cheeseburger line uh-huh. at the end. Yeah,
2: so much food. Thanos is cooking at the beginning. There you because go. The I love this movie, movie. all day.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: We uh, John he says they, this. <laughs> <laughs> he says they need someone smart enough to help them. And on his home on the lake, Tony Stark goes outside to retrieve his daughter, Morgan, for lunch. Morgan is wearing an iron suit helmet, which Tony says he's making for her mother. Steve, Nat, and Scott arrive, dropping Tony's mood, but he invites them in. Lang explains his plan. And Stark says it's a dangerous long shot, and also refuses to help because it could cost him the thing he's gained in the last five years: his daughter and a happy life with Pepper. The three leave to find a bigger brain,
3: and we all knew who they were. They going meet to. with
0: the... the big brain gets found. <laughs> the big brain. They I'm meet winning with again. the Incredible Hulk at a diner for breakfast. Bruce Banner is now in the body of the Hulk but with the mind and personality of Banner. He explains after the snap, he spent months in a gamma radiation chamber trying to figure out how to become the best of both worlds. So, Professor Hulk, right? Yeah. Right. Now that we've gotten to this point, we can finally talk about Professor Hulk here and not at the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) Robbie, (laughs) give us some (laughs) Professor Hulk knowledge. Uh, This was a big moment for me um,
3: because I... So, Professor Hulk is not the, the iconic Hulk, but it was the Hulk I grew up with. Like, the comics I was reading um, in the late 80s and early 90s, this is what Hulk was. He was um, sarcastic, a little bit funny. He was intelligent. It was Bruce Banner's um, personality with Hulk's body. And, and that was just what I got used to. And so, finally, I absolutely don't think that should have been what they had the entirety of the MCU. But finally, having it here was a big deal to me. And I didn't know it was coming. If I'm not mistaken, he was not part of the advertising at all. Not at and all. so... And obviously, we knew Hulk was going to be this movie, but then I'm sitting in the theater, and in that scene, you've got uh, Mark Ruflo talking while you've got the Hulk on screen, and immediately I grabbed Cat. I go, Professor Hulk, Cat, <laughs> um, my wife. Uh, so it was um, a big moment for me, but it was also jarring and
0: weird. Um, you didn't just grab a cat in the theater. There wasn't just a cat. <laughs> I, walking cat. Around. I don't know it's what theater you go to, but mine have cats. <laughs> um.
3: It was jarring. Uh, my though. theater had
2: cats, but not for very long. No one went to see it.
3: It, it was jarring oh. though because it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jellicle cats. I appreciate that the audience gets <laughs> to hear that click in your head, just like we all just. <laughs> <What? worked. laughs> um, not a fan of the cavity, huh?
3: No. It was. <laughs> it was jarring because it happens off screen. Um, and on the, on the commentary, the Russos explain that where originally, and, and supposedly they say the commentary is where they first revealed this. I had not heard this until then. Um, but they had shot Professor Hulk to be part of the third act of, um, Infinity War. Specifically what was supposed to happen was while he's getting beat around in the Hulkbuster costume by Black Dwarf, he's supposed to, you know, come to an understanding with, with Hulk and then supposed to bust out and they're supposed to figure out how we can coexist and then he uses his smarts and his body to beat black dwarf and then they felt like that was too much and i agree with them they felt like that was too much for the end of end game or for the end of infinity war because there's too much else going on to then handle okay also hulk is now different forever just 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 accept that and that was weird that would have been weird but even worse they pointed out that what was supposed to happen is hulk walks out of the bushes and sees um, Natasha, who says, hey, big boy, the sun's getting low. And he interrupts her and says, oh, no, we don't need to do that anymore. And mm. then the next thing that happens is everyone starts getting dusted. So I'm with them that that sounds like a whole... It does sound like an interesting scene in terms of the the interaction between he and Natasha. But the pacing of that sounds like a nightmare. So so I get it. Yeah. I get why that was pushed into this movie. It just means that the Hulk arc happened off screen it means that um they and that that is kind of sad i guess it's kind of just you know yada 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 oh by the way i'm professor hulk now and that that's important because it was it was a big part of ragnarok that he was dealing with so i mean it started in um ultron and really it started his whole arc throughout the mcu and then in ultron really kind of hit a i don't want to do this anymore. And then in Ragnarok, we have them fighting. And then, you know, if I go to, to Hulk, maybe I'll be the Hulk forever. But then in Infinity War, we have this whole arc of this back and forth that never gets solved. And you feel like it's going to get solved in that movie. And then when it doesn't get solved in that movie, you feel like, okay, so this is what happens in the next movie. This is Bruce Banner's arc in the next movie. And then it's not. It never goes anywhere except as then just handled off screen in the films. And I think it was the right decision, but it's still... I think it's possible for something to be the right decision and still kind of regret how it was handled and feel like it's it's a little bit messy and jarring and missing some important elements um and i want to ask all of you guys about this but especially i have a question for eduardo but this being a retrospective um i want you know like I want us to talk about the original Avengers as we go through. And this is something we talked about. We want to find time to focus on in this episode is not just talking about Endgame, but the retrospective of all the characters. And I think this is the perfect time to talk about it. Hulk. So I'd like to hear all your, all of your thoughts on the Hulk arc. Um, was it done well and across the entire MCU? Um, are you disappointed by it? It's, it, it's almost like the infinity war snap was his victory. He found his closure and, and this movie is going to be a lot about the closure or our original characters experiencing closure and Hulk's closure was people getting snapped and him improving himself in the meantime. And I want to know how we feel about that arc, but also I have a very specific question for Eduardo who also has some Hulk thoughts. I want to hear your Hulk thoughts, but first I want to hear you try can you even picture Edward Norton in this
0: movie? <laughs> so, I'll tackle that in a few different ways. First off, kind of go along with your point, point. one of the reasons Edward Norton was sort of taken away as the Hulk is because he, he wanted a lot of control over the character, and he wanted very specific things to happen with the character. I think that a lot of what he wanted was th- for the Hulk to have a lot more of a presence, to be a lot more sort of involved than the Hulk currently is. So I think, to your point, if Edward Norton was still the Hulk, we might have gotten a little bit more of a Hulk arc. Yeah. That being said, I don't think Edward Norton fits into this movie at all and I think Mark this is you know we we talked about this a while ago, but I started feeling like I was kind of coming around on Mark Ruffalo as as um as Hulk and even though I I still like Edward Norton I still I'm gonna stand the original Hulk movie The Incredible Hulk to the day I die I think Mark Ruffalo is works so much better with these other actors and I guess we'll never necessarily know how Edward Norton would be with those other actors but from what I understand as Ed- of Edward Norton as an actor, he would not have worked well with literally anyone. I, so. I actually, I
2: coincidentally came across the original statement that Marvel released when they announced that they were not going to be moving forward with Ed Norton. This is before they announced his replacement, but there was this statement that was just, we've decided not to move forward with Ed Norton as Bruce Banner and the Hulk in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're hoping to find someone who can embody the collaborative spirit that our other actors have demonstrated. Like, they straight up threw him under the bus. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, from what I understand, he's not, like, an easy actor to work with, just in general. No.
2: Um, I know Zach Penn, who wrote the original script for the Hulk, uh, and also the original Avengers script. He's bummed that they didn't use his original script for Avengers, but he said, I can understand Joss wanting, even though Joss has been publicly disparaging of this of this original script uh he said i understand the director wanting to go through his own thing at least it's not like hulk where i got replaced by the lead actor (laughs) so (laughs) Uh,
0: yeah but like that being said i think mark ruffalo is the only person that could have fit in with the rest of this cast i think he adds some some brevity to it as well i think he adds some warmth to it as well and i think the professor hulk character is really interesting because we don't a lot of the Hulk character moments and character motivations and character kind of pieces happen almost in the background, almost as like sidelines. You have to sort of piece it all together through your watchings of all of these movies to sort of see the, the grand arc he mm-hmm. gets, right? He doesn't get a true arc in almost any of the movies, right? right? he gets pieces of what is a very large arc throughout all of these movies, but he never truly gets his own complete arc unless you're counting the Incredible Hulk, which literally nobody does. Um, Even though it counts. Even though it does count, um, you know, you sort of, you have to see where Mark Ruffalo's character and the way that Mark Ruffalo plays the Hulk kind of grows throughout each movie and so i think mark ruffalo was the perfect kind of choice for this because of the way he plays the character i also just really like that video of mark ruffalo on the red carpet where paul rudd passes behind him on one of the premieres and he's like paul rudd <laughs> cool. um, but yeah, no, i just think he does such a really good job i think hulk goes through a, a wonderful transformation no pun intended and I don't know, man. I I stand Edward Norton, and I stand that movie because of you know nostalgia bias or whatever have you. But I think Mark Ruffalo is the only one that would have worked here.
2: Mm-hmm. I think the unique challenge about looking at Bruce Banner slash Hulk's arc throughout these movies is the fact that Hulk only got one movie. That was played where he was played by a different character or by a different actor. Uh, But he only got the one movie and it's partially because their hands were tied by legal issues. Marvel could not release a solo Hulk movie. They had to do it through Universal. They had no interest in doing that, but they had full control to use Hulk in team-up stuff however they wanted. So they only used Hulk in team-up stuff then. In Avengers movies... The one brief cameo in Iron Man 3 and then, of course, in in Ragnarok, which was basically Planet Hulk starring Thor. <laughs> so so it was difficult to give a character a meaningful arc. And, and, and I think they did, but it would have been easier if they could have explored that, right. if given it room to grow in its own movie. But when you have to do it in other people's movies slash team-up movies... Uh, you know there's only so much you can do my one real disappointment with hulk in in these movies uh and and i agree with robbie that it kind of stinks that that his professor hulkening happens um off screen between movies happens during the five years later title card but uh my my one disappointment is that we only got one movie with talking dumb hulk because i love talking Mm -hmm. dumb hulk and I would have liked at least one movie to see that Hulk interact with the Avengers. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I do like, and I and I think they explain it. I, I, I like the line in Endgame where he says I lost twice. First Hulk first Hulk got beat, and then Bruce got beat. And that's what what drives him to stop looking at Hulk as a curse and And instead view him as as an integral part of himself and and finds a way to smooth over their disagreements and become, as he says, the best of both of them.
0: Yeah, I really like the line where he says, take the stairs, hate the stairs.
3: (laughs) I was going to say, there's a little bit more (laughs) dumb. That's true. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, eight yeah. stairs. And, but he's but he's like, still, he's even dumber than Talking Dumb Hulk at this point. Still, I mean, I love it. Um, I laugh at, no matter how many times I see it. So many stairs will never not make me laugh.
3: <laughs> well, and I, I actually think that Hulk is one of the highlights of this film. Like focusing on this film, I think this is the best chance that Mark Ruffalo has had to really stand out in these mo- movies uh, because he he gets to be bruce banner the whole time just he gets to be bruce banner while he's punching things and it's great um and there's this kind of this Mm. sense of humor that comes with his acceptance of his
2: role um and uh
3: yeah i I just i think he's he
2: really stands out in this i i like that in the scene with the ancient one when Mm -hmm. she knocks his essence out of hulk it's Mm -hmm. bruce uh, so it's like yes, he is Bruce in Hulk's body, you know, and 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 I think that's really interesting. And he's wearing clothes, which I also. And Eduardo, find I think
3: you said we're starting to say something about this uh, Hulk's arc in this film specifically is a little bit about how just crazy the MCU is.
0: Yeah, I've written that in the notes. It's almost insane, and I feel like I've brought this up on so many episodes at this point that I almost don't want to bring it up again, but it's because they keep topping themselves with how ludicrous the premise of these movies Mm -hmm. are and the characters they have in these movies and the things that they do, that if you were to tell me on paper 10 years ago what this movie was about, I would call you crazy and be like, this movie will never work. Mm -hmm. And yet here we are with the highest grossing movie of all time being about Mm -hmm. Professor Hulk going and pulling a time heist with Ant-Man and a raccoon. You know, to defeat Thanos because he's got a gauntlet that's going to snap half of existence and then all of existence. And then you're just like, how did we get from point A to point B? Like, how how did we get here? I've never identified
2: more with the dad from Carousel of Progress. (laughs) It'll never catch on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. So at this point, Banner explains quantum physics are not his area of expertise but that what scott is proposing is theoretically possible and he agrees to help at home tony stark idly starts trying to work out Lang's suggestion and stumbles upon a path through the quantum realm that would work for time travel he's interrupted by morgan and tucks her into bed she tells him i love you 3000 now peaches you, you you're feeling some butterflies? You love me, 3,000? I mean, I love everybody who listens to this podcast, 3,000. Um,
1: oh, but not me. Okay. Do you not
0: listen to this podcast?
1: I do, but I, I wanted specific uh, <laughs> admiration for a you second. You wanted
0: 3,000 specific admirations? Yes, please. <laughs> okay, I love you, 3,000. Uh, Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got some butterflies in this scene, right? You got the, with the Tony and the Morgan and the father-daughter relationship.
1: I did. But before I get into that, I just want to say to these other two jokers that it's not a contest or anything, but he loves me 3000. I believe you guys were somewhere in the six to 900 range. (laughs) I do. So I, I didn't, it's funny that I just like made you say that to me. And now I'm going to say something that uh, disagrees with what you said in a previous episode. I think that they have a very believable relationship, even though they don't have a lot of time on screen. And I, I, I don't know. Like I don't think it's I don't think you can easily compare uh like Cassie's performance over two movies to Morgan's performance in a couple scenes in one movie. Like they have a far less time together to develop this chemistry, but it's absolutely believable. Like Tony finally has a feeling of you you can see that he finally has this he takes on the dad role like really well. Somehow he's just a mega dad like he seems really good at it like he's got jokes with his daughter like she says shit and he's like what are you doing you can't say that and then he says it immediately like it's really cute like they get ice pops together the whole I love you 3000 thing that everybody is everybody says and said for a long time after the movie uh, not unrelated segue everybody that I ever have interacted with in my life posted the Facebook status I love you 3000 mm-hmm. after they saw this movie uh-huh. and that's all that they wrote yep Um, But I just I find it entirely believable. And I'm not trying to like get in a fight with you because of I just told you you I love you. you. I know I'm not trying to get in a fight with you because of what you said in previous episodes. But I do think that um, that maybe you feel like they don't have the same level of of a relationship for a couple of reasons. One being that Cassie and Scott have two plus movies where they interact and you get character development between them but also because you have liked scott lang for 100 of the time that you have seen him in these movies and you have liked tony for like 13 percent of the time that you've seen him in the whole mcu i like him the best so in i feel movie. like right no i know you do but i feel like you have a disposition to like sort of dislike tony things more than you would like you would dislike Scott things more that's fair that makes
0: sense. i mean that's fair and i think uh, I, I don't think you're you're going down a wrong path there i think the difference okay. for me being is i think cassie is more of a character than morgan is i think morgan oh, is yeah. more of a device for tony to show his fatherhood to show kind of everything whereas uh, uh, cassie is significantly more of her own character and therefore mm-hmm. a, a more integral part of what scott's character is So I think that was the distinction I was making on that show. I don't think you're wrong by, you know, enjoying the relationship here. I just don't think it's as well-defined partially because of the amount of time. And I don't think Morgan specifically as a character is as well-defined as Cassie is.
1: And I I agree with you on that too. Like she's, she's not, she's central to Tony, but she's not central to the movie. Like she's a great character, but that kind of, I, I wrote kind of two points in this one point because you can see that his love of his daughter and his family has come with after all of these these terrible things that have happened in his life, right? Like, Tony's had this huge arc where he was a playboy, now he's like a family man, and he will do anything to protect his family, and later in the movie, he gets this, you know, he gets the opportunity, because of uh, the Hulk hating stairs, he gets the opportunity to have, like, a little reunion with his father, but you know, in the 1940s. And Tony always had this perception that his dad didn't really care for him very much. Um, Most of his memories of his father were kind of cold in his mind. Like he loved his dad, but he didn't feel like his dad made any time for him. And, um, you know, in this, in this scene that we get, we find out that um, Howard did love Tony, even before Tony was Tony, you know, they didn't, they weren't even going to name him Tony. Um, He just didn't necessarily know how to show it in the same way. And both of those things to me, like, I know I started this about Morgan. It's really overall about Tony being a family man and just his story in this aspect coming full circle where he gets the courage because of Morgan to do the right thing, to try to save everybody's reality and sort of as a reward for doing that, he gets to come to terms with the relationship that he felt he didn't have with his own father. Um So I just think that's yes,
0: yeah, nice. I agree. Well, I mean, we could talk about Tony's arc here since we're already here talking about Tony. But he keeps it Tony in his chest. is he what he keeps it in his chest? His arc. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Tony. Um is a like textbook narcissist in most of his standalone movies right he is Mm -hmm. very much concerned about himself and saving himself and lots of things that have to do with him and his art goes in a completely different direction where he has to learn and he learns how to care about others and how to put others before himself where in this movie he makes the ultimate sacrifice to put everyone before himself and so i think they do as a whole, a really good job of making me like Tony Stark at the end after how much I didn't like him in the beginning. Um, yeah. And so I think a part of that is because of where they took his arc part of being that he cares more about helping others now. Whereas before he cared about helping himself.
1: You know what I think? I'm sorry to keep no, talking, so no, I'll, keep talking. I'll stop after this and I'll <laughs> let everybody else contribute no, too. I, I just think that, like his whole arc in this whole thing, you you can argue very successfully that the whole MCU is a Tony Tony Stark story Um, because it starts with him and it ends with him and he's laced in so many different episodes, if you will, of this story. Um, And he's integral to the story in basically every way. And it kind of made me think just now about... um, you know, in addition to us watching this transformation, you go back and you think about some of the stuff that happened with James Gunn, um, the the sort of controversy that people were disagreeing about, about whether or not a, a person who was bad in the past can change and become a good person. And I know this is a movie, um, but this sort of shows that uh, over the course of all these movies, that a person who has a lot of sort of negative toxic traits can learn from their mistakes, um, even learn from things that aren't necessarily mistakes, but maybe are um, not the goodest thing that they could do. And they can change over time and they can be a positive, a positive force for their surroundings, you know? And and I think that Tony just does throughout this whole MCU. It's been crazy to watch him go from somebody that would, you know, have adult time with a reporter he just met, uh, and yell wildly on the floor to <laughs> um <laughs> to, you know, tucking in his daughter and bragging about how much she loves him to his mm-hmm. his wife, you know? Yeah, yeah.
3: If there's a main character of the MCU, it's Tony Stark. And and there really isn't a main character, but he's the closest there is to it. Um and so his arc is very important, but I also think a lot of it is settled Partly because he's had a lot of films, and I think you kind of said this, Peaches, a lot of it settled at this point. Um, we still have some growth and some experiences to go with the other characters, but I think this is the point now where we've reached um, the end game, pun intended, of Tony Stark. He has become the adult mature person, which is really what his, his, his arc is very much just about maturity. He's immature when we first see him in rolling in a Humvee and not throwing up gang signs in a selfie. And, you know, now he is exactly like Picha said, living in a cottage with his daughter that he loves and with his wife, who he loves. And what we saw in Iron Man is him realizing he can be more than just a, an arms dealer. He can do more to help the world. And he wants to, and he embraces that. But then his embracing of that doesn't really necessarily come with that much maturity. And so through the ensuing films, and one of the criticisms, like criticisms would have in the MCU, it almost feels like Tony, and I think we have kind of said this maybe around Iron Man 3 or so, um, or maybe the Civil War, that it feels like sometimes Tony's growth, and this is realistic, but not necessarily how movies usually work. Tony's growth is an ebb and flow, where it's like, Oh, he's better now, and up, up to his same old tricks. Oh, he's better now, up, up to his same old tricks. But that's what we get through basically most of phase two and phase three is he's trying to be better for the world but he is also very authoritarian in it very much i know best i am here and really it's still coming from a selfish place ultron still comes from a selfish place he's trying to protect the world but he's trying to protect the world the tony stark way and it has to be how he wants it done and it's entirely for his own ego and some fear of his friends here in endgame He didn't save the world, he lost, and almost that's where his closure comes from. Um, And that's something I want to reflect on throughout this, is the characters getting their closure. I think his closure is two-pronged. One, it's, I lost, so now I get to settle down with Pepper. And that's where he gets his happiness. For these, his five years later are happy experience, even if he lost. The other prong of his closure is what Pepper says later in this scene, which is, he can't have it. Tony Stark doesn't get closure because he doesn't get to rest. And that's where we get in the end... um, is Tony's Tony's arc ends in the MCU in totality with finally sacrificing himself for something he originally was not on board with. He originally refused to do this, and in the end, he willingly kills himself to get it done. And which is, we'll talk about it when we get there. But I think it's important to the arc, and it, it's it's mm-hmm. very fascinating. And I am with Eduardo, where I didn't love Tony Stark through these films but I'm still completely compelled and convinced by how he becomes who he is and how this film ends, how he ends in the MCU. And I just, I think that's really fascinating and very well played.
2: Yeah. And I, I, I think it's interesting as well is that he starts off as a hero because he's trying to atone for everything he's done wrong. And there is still some aspect to that in this, I think, uh, uh, certainly him i think that one reason he finds it so important to to be a good father it's it's partially because of the strained relationship he had with howard but it's also because he feels like he let peter parker down and he was sort of a surrogate father figure and peter was a surrogate son for him uh and and we see that that's still weighing heavily on him but now it's not just guilt it's he is now a hero like Mm -hmm. to his core And that's why Pepper says, you know, he he has the opportunity to not take part in this. And he thinks the time ice is dumb and he thinks it's possible. And when he figures out that it's possible, he says, you know, I could drop this to the bottom of a lake and we can just move on with our lives. And Pepper says, you would Mm -hmm. never be able to rest. And he can't because he's he's a hero now. He's he's a real hero is, is the music track. Oh, wow. The soundtrack even says. Emo. Oh. Yeah. No. Yeah.
3: Well, and another aspect of Tony's closure is his relationship with his father, which this movie found a way to resolve. And you could have accepted that it was never going to be resolved, but this movie found a way to resolve it when it sends him back in time and he talks to his father and he talks to his father about being a father. He realizes the way his dad cared about being a father and was trying so hard the same way Tony is. But also understanding that the greater good is important. Um and so that scene is very important because that closes another obviously being the closest thing to the main character to the MCU, he has lots of things that need that need to be closed off. And one of them is beautifully done with the relationship with his father. On rewatching that scene, which we'll get to, but that scene at the base doesn't really uh-huh. do much. There's not the conflict is Another uh, community cameo, trying to get them caught by security. Like, there's not a lot in that scene uh-huh. other than character development, and you don't realize it because you're still you're on the edge of your seat when you first see that movie because there is suspense there. But on rewatching, you realize nothing happens. There's no drama here. There's uh-huh. nothing scary. They just go back and they accomplish what they need to do. Like the end, no harm, no foul. But what it accomplishes is closure for Tony uh-huh. Stark and branching into a different character. While Tony Stark gets his closure in that scene, I think that scene sets up. Uh, steve rogers realizing where his closure has to come from and also how that's this he pulls the pim yeah. particles with his own hands he also kind of realizes how his closure has to happen as well i think so um you know a pivotal scene but very pivotal for uh tony stark i think this scene is very pivotal and peaches handled it perfectly also i want to say i disagree with you but i liked everything you said about morgan um, and Tony's relationship. I do buy into it. I just don't like it more than the Cassie-Scott relationship. But this scene's pivotal, and that scene is pivotal. And in this movie, even though he gets probably the most important shot in this film, this movie is more about Iron Man. Is He's going to get a few important moments, but his arc is mostly done, so the other characters can go, and Iron Man can finally get his, you know, uh,
2: curtain call and leave. And and you just said something that jogged something for me. I don't know if I ever made this connection. Maybe I did and just haven't thought about it but howard's line where he's talking about he's afraid he won't be a good father because Mm -hmm. the greater good has never outweighed his self-interest and that in some ways is tony's hang-up before i mean he's gotten past that to a point now that he's actually on the time heist but he wanted to hide this because the greater good uh did Mm -hmm. not outweigh his his own self-interest which was you know moving on with his family which is a perfectly normal thing to want i think and it's selfish but not selfish in a way that i'm like oh what a selfish character it's selfish in a in an understandable way i think uh and then at the end he does sacrifice himself for the greater good uh and so that his family can live in a universe Mm -hmm. that that they deserve yeah i'm really emotional right now i did not
3: expect that right on this podcast man (laughs)
2: Yeah, no I, I warned you all that uh that I'm probably gonna cry several times. I haven't yet, but there is a chance because I still tear up watching this movie.
1: Crying hour with, with the <laughs> AR boys.
3: <laughs> gonna have some tears with the lads.
2: <laughs> cry one out for your homies. <laughs> Me and the boys are gonna go cry about Avengers. <laughs>
0: So Tony goes to talk to Pepper about his discovery and insists he can stop and leave this alone. Pepper says, Tony, trying to get you to stop has been one of the few failures of my life. At the Avengers compound, Bruce attempts to use Scott's quantum tunnel to send Lang through time. Lang comes back as a child, an old person, and a baby before Hulk is able to bring him back at his current self. Somebody peed my pants. That's a baby. (laughs) (laughs) He'll grow into it. Somebody peed my pants. I don't know if it was baby me or old me or me, me. (laughs) (laughs) Tony arrives and passive aggressively explains to Steve that they set uh, time through Scott rather than sending Scott through time. He shows that he's constructed a beacon, allowing them to control the movements through the quantum realm better. Stark agrees to bring back what he has lost. As long as everything that, uh, that has come since is not erased. Rogers agrees and Stark hands him his shield taken by Tony at the end of Civil War and since repaired. And, Chris, we get the resolution of all of the conflict in Civil War here with this moment between Tony and Steve. It's heartwarming. Is this where we get the Chris tears?
2: Uh, It might be. Looks Um, like it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that scene. Uh, I love that when he puts a shield on, the Captain America theme plays again. I love that. Right? But, uh, so this movie, more than any of them, we talked about the Summon in Infinity War, but this mm-hmm. one even more, just such a wonderful job of incorporating the previous themes. Like when I'm Ant-Man comes this...
3: out of the, out of the fan? Uh-huh, the an- had not noticed that until recently because we had just watched Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's...
2: Yeah, yeah, that Ant-Man theme plays when he comes out of the quantum realm there. And we get, as I mentioned, the Captain Marvel theme. We get a few things from the Captain America movies. Um, this and then a very important one at the end as well um but what i was gonna say excuse me i made the dumb choice to i saw gum sitting on this table and said oh i want some gum right now i was like no why'd you do that you're gonna be chewing into the microphone you dummy (laughs) uh peek behind the curtain at how stupid i am sometimes uh no but i'm saying is that this movie in addition to everything else it has to deal with it has to finally resolve the Steve and Tony breakup from Civil War. And I we've established long ago that I am a Captain America fanboy. Captain America is my favorite adventure. Um, I always thought Tony was a little unfair to Steve at the beginning of this movie. Uh, uh, not, not not necessarily Civil War, but in this, he's blaming Steve for not being there. And he even like throws his own words from Age of Ultron against him. He says, you said you said that we would uh, that if we lost, we'd lose together, and you weren't there. And Tony is the one who did not call Steve, in Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Steve gave him the cell phone, said, "You ever need me, call me." He looks at the phone, and is like, "I can't do it," and Bruce has to call him. And then by the time Steve shows up, Tony's in space. You know, so so he could have done that. He chooses, he makes that choice. But after five years, uh, when when Steve and that and Scott go to visit tony in his cabin he seems to be ready to bury the hatchet he says you know he says that he wishes they'd showed up under any other circumstances he tells him as long as you don't talk shop you can stay for lunch we've got six places set he's he wants to try to move on because mature adults after a lot of time passes so they're like okay you know let's let's move on let's do that but Uh, given the life for him that he's made for himself in the interim, it's understandable that he's not interested in joining in on this crazy time heist as we just talked about he knows that he can't move on if he doesn't at least try if he knows there's a chance he can help and I think that the scene where he and Steve finally do move past it is really meaningful being this scene where Tony gives him back the shield and he says he made it for you he doesn't say who he is But we know having watched all these movies he's talking about his father and in the at the end of civil war the last thing he says to to steve is that shield doesn't belong to you you don't deserve it my father made that shield and that's why steve leaves the shield and that's why tony has had it all these years Uh, so not only does he say he made it for you but this is actually i think the first time in the entirety of the mcu that Tony has acknowledged that Howard was important, an important figure in both of their lives. You know, in, in some ways Howard is kind of a, as he created the, the super soldier. Well, not, he didn't create the, the serum, but he worked with Erskine to create that project. He is kind of a father of Captain America, of Steve's powers. Um, and he was uh, an important friend of Steve's as well. And Tony's never acknowledged that before. Whenever he's brought it up in the past, it's been in the context of like a jealous younger sibling uh, in Avengers he goes this is the guy that my dad wouldn't shut up about Steve mentions offhand in Civil War that oh yeah your father uh, did this and he goes oh you knew my dad I never knew that no one's ever brought that up before like he's he's jealous about it but but he he's moved past that and he's acknowledging you know the importance to him uh, and and this is a turning point in Tony's relationship with Steve but going back to what we were just talking about, uh, it's a sign that maybe being a father himself has helped him to work through his own issues uh, with his own father, which then culminates when they meet in 1970. Uh, so there's a, th- that scene does a lot of legwork, of, of you know, uh, bringing to a close sort of the civil war story, while also showing Tony's personal growth and his, and then again leading into. Uh, something that is just purely a Tony Stark story and not just Tony and Steve. So it, 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 puts the bow on the Tony and Steve stuff and then does a little more, uh, lays a little more groundwork for closure for Tony personally. And and I just think that you know, it's really, really kind of impressive how much is contained in that scene.
0: Yeah, we already I, I mentioned this earlier, but we talked, um about moments like the Nebula Tony moment where lots of things needed to be addressed in a very short amount of time because of how densely packed this movie is. And this is just another example of that, of of packing in so much um, closure in such a short amount of time and still pushing the narrative of this movie forward. Really,
2: really great writing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Very economical. Really
0: like they had to, they were on a tight rope in so many different ways in this movie. And in one of the ways is how many different stories and characters they had to put together in one film. But how many loose ends need to be tied up specifically for this movie? And so they had to kind of pull the balancing act of all of those things as well as telling a cohesive narrative for this film.
3: Yeah, I agree. Like, the writing's incredible. Like, And I feel like it's more, I'm more impressed by it as time goes on. Like, I, I was fully impressed as we saw this film. But each time I watched it, I'm a little more impressed by how well it's written. And sitting here talking with with you guys, not only like right now, but as we were all watching it individually and sharing thoughts in our group chat and as I was compiling the notes and kind of getting y'all's feedback on what was being written in those moments, I kept just realizing, Oh my God, that was so much better done than I realized. Like the writing is not just well done. The writing is well done on a level that as you start to go through it, you start to realize, Oh, I, I didn't even catch that. It was so deftly handled. It's, it's amazing. I, I don't think before this moment I, I thought about that scene as the resolution of civil war. It was just Tony shows up and gives Steve his his, his uh, shield. Cool, the shield. I like the shield. But listening to Chris talk about it, I was like, no, that's <laughs>
2: it's incredibly well handled. And I think they were smart to delay it to this because I went into Infinity War going, oh, I can't wait to see mm-hmm. how the results of War. No, they made mm-hmm. me wait another year for that. And it's more closure. So it. And it is a bummer that my hypothetical future kids will only have to wait as long as it takes for me to show them. The two movies in between Infinity War and Endgame, and right. not the year that I had to wait.
0: <laughs> or you could just keep it locked away for them. I will. There you
2: go. I won't tell them the internet exists until after the endgame, a year. so no, no one spoils it for them.
3: <laughs> That's how I feel about kids who get to play Ocarina of Time instead of having to read magazines for six years before they get to play Ocarina of Time.
0: Ooh. So Steve says they're getting a team together. The Benatar lands near Scott Lang, innocently eating a taco, blowing out <laughs> all the fillings. Hulk walks by and hands Scott his own tacos.
3: <laughs> Point of order. The reason his taco loses all its fillings is his taco sucks. That thing is all shredded ice- iceberg lettuce. Like there's and nothing in first. that taco. Like I'm sure there's some there's some meat in that taco. But that that one time at Taco Bell I ordered I ordered a taco with no meat and or with no lettuce. Um and what they gave me was a thin line of meat in the bottom and then stuffed it with lettuce, which I'm sure was on purpose, and I was really mad. But that's the kind of taco that Scott Lang is eating. Mm -hmm. So
1: one thing that I want to know if you guys do this. When he's preparing the taco before it gets blown to smithereens, and he like packs all the fillings in and then uses his finger to like, you know what I'm talking about? To like pack them even further Mm -hmm. into the shell. Do do you guys do that?
0: Yeah. But also I don't really eat hard shell tacos anymore so yeah for me hard shell
3: tacos have become like a i'm in the mood for an old for you know hamburger meat yeah and a sock like i can be in yeah. the mood for that almost for nostalgia but that's true mostly i warm up some soft corn and put some stuff on it
2: right
0: but i have you know if i make a hard
3: shell taco that's absolutely what i do sure mm-hmm. hard shell tacos huh. to me
0: now are like a 2 a.m drunk going to taco bell yes I need yes. something to fill my belly and that's what I'm getting a hard shot taco. But if I'm making tacos at home, I'm doing it the real way with some corn tortillas and some carne asada Barbacoa. and some oh. <laughs> and some oh. onions and cilantro, yes. you know, doing it yeah, right. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Which still right. means
3: that Scott Lane's tacos sucks and deserve to get blown away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then he gets two more sucky tacos anyway. And then Roddy calls it regular tacos. I've been saying that since this movie came out. That's why Hulk (laughs) gives him the tacos, because the tacos are terrible.
2: (laughs) There's so much about that that moment. So it's not charity? No. It's five seconds, and it's so funny. Just the way he looks at him, the just just another example of nice Hulk, yeah. <laughs> which I think is funny. The fact that the tacos look miniature between Hulk's fingers. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, just everything about it. It's just layers on layers. I like that Nebula
1: says that. What I don't exactly oh, remember what she says, landings. but something about an idiot. Yeah, in the
2: landing Watch zone. out, Rody, an idiot. And
3: then the Rhodey calls him regular-sized man. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, the Benatar lands near Scott Lang. We've already talked about this. Rocket and Bruce travel to New Asgard, a seaside town in Norway, where the few surviving Asgards are living. Oh, How but they got there? It's not
2: just any, any seaside town in Norway. It's Tonsberg. Tonsberg being yeah, Tonsberg being the site of the battle between Odin's forces and the Frost Giants at the beginning of of Thor. And where Red Skull found the Tesseract at the beginning of Captain America, the first Avenger. It all comes back to Tonesburg. Wow. The Marvel callback. Yeah,
0: we still don't know how they got there in the first place, but they're there. Uh, The two meet with Valkyrie, who says Thor never leaves home anymore. They find Thor in his home, where he has become a shut-in living with Korg and Meek playing video games, drinking beer, eating pizza, putting on weight, and giving up. He sounds like me. Korg is playing Fortnite Same. and being trolled by Noobmaster69, who Thor threatens to stop playing with his old heroic voice. Oh, yeah. um, I'll come to you, rip your arms off, and shove them up your butt! Shove them up your butt! Do you think,
1: do you think there already was a Noobmaster69 who had an Epic Games account, or do you think that somebody immediately, like, they like sped home as fast as they could after the, the premiere and they made the handle.
0: I'm sure it it was not taken and now it's taken. I think. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Oh gosh. And Korg, by the way, is, and I don't think they told Taika Waititi who's going to do that. That, jumper, romper, whatever it is he's wearing with the pineapples. That yeah. is a piece of clothing that Taika Waititi actually owns and has worn, and I think they put that on Korg <laughs> as a joke. I think he didn't know so about cool. that until he saw it in the premiere.
0: That's so <laughs> no cool. password, obviously.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, oh, just, I'm glad we got a little bit of Korg in this. Uh, I we all yes. know how much I love Korg, so.
0: for uh, you... listener Vicky's favorite character. Hey! Good taste, Vicky. Well, shout out to you, Vicky. Uh, Thor uses Stormbreaker, the magical, powerful weapon that occupied his entire character arc in Infinity War, as a bottle opener. <laughs> <laughs> when Bruce tries to talk to Thor about their plan, Thor expresses anger at the name Thanos and refuses to help, still, oh, shouldering, the blame. <laughs> <laughs> still shouldering the blame for the snap, though outwardly pretending he's content.
2: Oh, that, that change in his face like as soon as he says thanos and all of a sudden you see the denial go away and just the way he grabs hulk's shirt mm-hmm. and is like don't say that name like like there's just it's it's scary and heartbreaking and believable i think
0: mm-hmm. rocket convinces thor to come by saying they have beer <laughs> uh
2: also sounds like me. <laughs>
3: also, I spent this whole in movie Tokyo, trying to figure out what ahead. beer he was drinking. Every time he's got a beer in his hand, I'm trying to figure out what beer that is. Oh, I'm it's a local it Atlanta beer. One of beer. them,
0: the Creature right. Comforts. Yeah, a beer. lot of it's Georgia beer. Yeah. In Tokyo, the rogue assassin Ronin mercilessly hunts down a, key, a Yakuza gang through their hideout, killing dozens, ending with killing their boss in a sword fight in the street. What is this actor's name? Because he's always oh. samurai number one in any movie that needs a samurai.
2: I'm going to look it up right now because I took notice of his name in the credits yesterday. And no, I don't my God, this movie is such a huge cast. It really does. <laughs> I'm scrolling. It's um, uh, Hiroyuki Sanada, Akihiko. Yeah, I think the actor is Hi- oh, Hiroyuki Sanada. Yeah.
3: Okay.
0: You are correct, Hiroyuki Sanada. That man plays a samurai in literally everything he's ever done, ever.
2: Oh yeah, he was in the Last Samurai. He was in the Wolverine. He was in Forty Seven Ronin.
0: Yes, and he plays a samurai in every single one of those. <laughs> Oh, he's going to be playing Scorpion in the
2: Mortal Kombat reboot. What?
0: That sounds awesome. He sounds like he'd oh, play that's cool. a great here Scorpion. over
1: here. That was my best <laughs> Scorpion. Uh, I don't know. I,
3: uh, Scorpion's iconic quote. <laughs> <laughs> was just, that was his,
1: his rope, his, his spear at the end of a rope. I don't know. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> Natasha arrives knowing Ronan is Clint Barton. Who has gone on a one-man killer of organized crime spree since losing his family when nat tells clint they have a plan to get his family back clint tells her don't don't you give me hope <laughs> which is another just fantastic meme this movie is filled with memes just like infinity war the other one um the one that's uh i see this is an absolute win <laughs> Yes. Is another widely used <laughs> meme. Which is such a good line. <laughs> oh, you know, something about this
2: scene I thought was really cool that I don't think I'd ever appreciated before. The way they do the subtitles. It's yeah. like done in a really dynamic way where it's like actually moving with the action and the different characters, the subtitles are colored differently, which is very comic booky when you think about mm-hmm. it. And it made me wonder if, like, could a full movie be done that way? And I guess the answer is probably not unless it is designed to be... Seen with subtitles which you know movies that are done in foreign language and then given subtitles are not so but yeah
0: in the avengers compound rocket tony nebula and bruce are building a platform to serve as a launch and landing point for traveling through the quantum realm scott has built a modified ant-man suit for the job but explains there are only enough pym particles for everyone to make one jump plus a single test run without hank pym they won't be able to get more particles and it is wonderful to finally see Scott Lang as Ant-Man as a meaningful uh, member of the Avengers. It is absolutely wonderful that we finally get to see this. He's an Avenger, finally. And it's just, you know, Scott is another one of those characters that I don't think his his arc is complete yet. We know that there's going to be another Ant-Man movie that'll probably sort of finish off what his arc is supposed to be. Um, and it, I think it'll be really interesting to see how he deals with the new MCU like Avengers team if they ever even do one, because he will be more one of the more senior members at this point, right? If you talk about Tony or um, Tom Holland's Peter Parker, and you talk about um, T'Challa, and you talk about Captain Marvel, Scott's been around before all of those people, right? I guess not necessarily T'Challa, but. You know what I'm saying here. He will be seen as one of the more, you know, the older and wiser ones, which yeah. is not necessarily what you would categorize Scott yeah, Lang as. Yeah, no, I, I
2: was around for the time heist. <laughs> <Save> <laughs> you the know, universe. Cap,
0: You know, yeah. Cap. We call him Cap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, one of the notes I wrote
2: down was that it was really fun watching Ant-Man become a full-fledged Avenger in this movie. I really yep. enjoy that. Because even in Civil War, he felt like the outsider. As you said earlier, he's sort of right. the audience guy. So... Yeah, it's really, really fun.
0: And I love Scott Lang in this movie, just in general. Um, We've talked about his warmth in general a bunch of different times, but he just kind of continues to add it here. And it's just so fun to get to see him interact with the rest of the Avengers. And we've already talked about this a hundred times, but it's the retrospective. So we have to talk about it again, about how all these actors tend to just play themselves and they end up becoming the character you know, I don't think Paul Rudd is doing a Scott Lang impression. I think Paul Rudd is just being Paul Rudd out there, and that is who we see as Scott Lang now. Like, Robert Downey Jr. is playing himself in these movies, and how a lot of these actors tend to just play themselves. I think a lot of the parts about Thor in general, and how Thor is currently, is because he's playing a little bit more Chris Hemsworth in these in these roles where he's adding a little bit more comedy. It feels like he's having a little bit more fun and it feels like he's being a little bit more of himself in those roles. Am I incorrect in my assessment of that?
3: No, not at all.
2: I think that's right. I just, I, 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 I wouldn't No, Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as playing themselves, but I think that their personalities naturally inform their, their performances probably inform their sure. casting even and with what you see in tv shows a lot is you know they'll cat they'll get a, a cast and then the when you see what the performers the actors who have cast can do then they'll start bringing in things about like personality quirks whatever from the actors into the characters uh first example that comes to mind for me is ben wyatt on parks and rec adam scott being you know it's very specific interests uh you know he's a huge rem fan and that became a big that not a big part but that became a part of 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 ben wyatt was that he was a very nerdy rem fan and all these other things so i think that since the mcu people compare it sometimes disparagingly to a tv show but when it is a 10-year project where these actors are playing these roles for 10 years in multiple movies Then naturally they're going to start writing to the actors as well. Sure. Yeah. So so I think it starts
0: to it starts to homogenize. The lines start to get blurred, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I don't know whether to agree or disagree with you because the only other thing I've seen Chris Hemsworth in, to my knowledge, is uh, Cabin in the Woods, where he put on a very bad American accent. If you go back and watch Cabin in the Woods now listening to him talk Mm -hmm. as Thor for like however many movies he's in in the MCU uh it sounds real bad like I love Cabin in the Woods it's my favorite horror movie but Mm -hmm. his accent is atrocious I'm mostly just stuck
3: on the idea that Karen Gillan is playing Karen Gillan in this movie (laughs) fair it's probably not (laughs) that's fair
2: (laughs) what about Josh Uh. Brolin oh no Bradley Cooper (laughs) (laughs) playing Bradley Cooper Right. So Bradley, Bradley Cooper, Cooper is is, uh, Bradley Cooper is playing Sean Gunn playing himself. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's, and there's Vin Diesel is playing
0: one. himself if he was a tree. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably actually true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the group argues over how time travel works. Rhodey asks why they don't just go back and kill Thanos, and Scott agrees, citing multiple time travel movies. Banner explains, you cannot change your future by going to the past, so they would need to go back, take the stones to the present, and use them. He explains the past you are going to is actually your future. And it's really interesting because they don't ever, they have this whole dialogue about time travel, but they never actually clear anything up. They don't make it any clearer. They're basically just like, it's complicated, this is why it's complicated, and then they move on to the next point. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I felt like they, I, I don't fully agree. I think in that scene, I agree. But overall in the movie, when um, they're in the middle of the time heist and Hulk talks to um, the ancient one about taking the stones, I think they kind of make it a little more uh, apparent what's going on.
0: Yeah, well, we haven't gotten to part two of this podcast, have we?
1: I'm not going to go any further.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but, but I agree. I think, I think they do.
1: I'm not going to disrupt the timeline of this, pro- this podcast.
2: <laughs> I think they do enough in this scene and then in that scene as well to explain why when they come back to the present after the time heist, why they haven't just changed the future uh why we haven't gotten a back to the future thing where marty goes back to the past things happen he comes back everything is different you know they 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 do just enough to explain that you know when they return to their prime timeline they haven't changed anything right they are just coming back with infinity stones
3: yeah it's something some of this is stuff i want to save for episode two for a specific reason but i do think i think i agree with you eduardo in that a lot of it's kind of yada yada but at the same time i also feel like it's done better than almost any time travel i've seen i think the root of it is just that time travel is messy and putting it in your movie is really hard to do well and
0: i don't wibbly wobbly time yeah yeah there. well i uh-huh. think that's yeah, exactly. i think that's part of what makes
1: <laughs> it funny in this movie is that they you know they're gonna time travel they kind of give you like a more comical explanation of how it works in this movie and then they move on and they like really layer in the comedy with Uh, Rhodey and um, Ant-Man just going back and forth listing off movies where there may or may not actually be time travel. Oh, Um, I just
0: got it! Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. That's how we connect Karen Gillum uh and the Doctor Strange universe with the Marvel universe. Doctor Who. Doctor Who. I'm sorry, Doctor Who universe. This is our Doctor Who
3: Strange universe. The
1: Doctor Who universe.
3: The clawed (laughs) arm of Boba Fett crawls out of the Sarlacc pit. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: uh which may be happening no, anyway um uh but they also do have to explain why it's not why are we not going back in time to prevent this why is it we're going back in time to get the infinity stone so and they do a uh, great and, job of that yeah but also
0: they've also talked about how tony one of his stipulations was you can't change anything right.
2: Yes, so that's yeah.
0: another reason why they're not going back because Tony's already said you. I, I'm only doing I'm not this losing
2: these five years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think they they do a good sciency way a uh, reason to explain that, but then also, uh, uh, one that is grounded in the characters. Sure. Uh, but man, I love I love Rhodey talking about why don't we just go back and find baby Thanos and, <laughs> My, <laughs> like, like, first Tung- of all, and- that's horrifying. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> um, have we talked about the uh, the comic about killing baby Thanos on this podcast? I believe it's been referenced. I've never read it, but I've only heard references to it. Yeah, so there's a co- uh, it's a sequel to the Thanos wins comic, uh, in which Cosmic Ghost Rider, who is an alternate universe Punisher, who was given the power Cosmic and is also a Ghost Rider. Um, uh, he was the Herald of Galactus and also a Ghost Rider and also the Punisher. Uh, goes back in time to kill baby Thanos, but then ends up adopting baby Thanos instead. Um, this is before The Mandalorian. Um, <laughs> the tale as old as time. Yeah. Um, the, he ends up pissing off the that universe's version of the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is like Cable and a bunch of other strange characters. But the best part of it is that when he goes back and he's going to kill baby Thanos and then decides to adopt him, the Watcher shows up because the watcher only shows up for important events. And he says to him, I just came to watch the most colossal mistake anyone in history has ever or will ever make. (laughs) It's insane. It is wild stuff.
1: Cable as a guardian of the galaxy. What a weird, I I forget who
2: else was in it. Oh, um, Howard, the duck slash, uh, like Howard, the duck was juggernaut (laughs) in the guardians of the galaxy. Uh, That's weird. It's all sorts of weird stuff.
0: So Clint volunteers to test the system. On the platform, he shrinks down to quantum size and returns to full size on his farm at a point before his family disappeared. He picks up his daughter's baseball glove, and when he hears her voice, tries to speak to her, but then shrinks back to quantum size before he can see her and returns to the present with the glove in tow. The Avengers prove the time travel theory works and they are able to bring ions with them through the quantum realm. The group gathers to discuss where the time stones are and where to most efficiently retrieve them. Thor explains the aether, the the reality stone, being absorbed into Jane Foster and being on Asgard before the Dark Elves invaded and killed his mother. And I'm glad they explained that because I'm pretty sure nobody at that point would have remembered that and, in any way. And I told you guys this
3: off-air before the show, the Russo brothers knew that too. This whole scene is just lampshading, not only that no one watched the Dark World, but also that they've they've retconned half of the Dark World stuff. Like when Thor walks up and he says, uh, it, it's actually more like a sl- Someone an referred it to, sludge someone as an angry sludge someone referred to it as a stone earlier that's wrong that was all on purpose like we all talked about hey, didn't the reality of the stone wasn't it a stone in that movie that only I saw like they're they're mm-hmm. intentionally calling that out which to me is just the height of comedy and also just making fun of like wait Jane Foster's not in these movies she was important and now she's not in these movies what the like. We're not together anymore <laughs> so I, I just i I think that scene is and at the time of watching it's just whatever it's fine it's funny but now i realize it's brilliantly brilliantly meta about the whole series as well uh,
2: another great thing about that scene is all the other avengers watching him very concerned and then they cut to scott and he's just smiling wrapped <laughs> with attention like oh really wow because <laughs> he's the only one that has no clue about any of this everyone else has probably heard this story before
0: very funny <laughs> Rocket explains the power stone being found on Morag by Peter Quill, and Nebula explains Thanos killing Gamora and Voromir and obtaining the soul stone. Not it. <laughs> Steve, Nat, and Tony realize that during the Battle of New York, for a brief moment, the time stone, Doctor Strange's Eye of Agamotto, the mind stone, Loki's scepter, and the space stone, the tesseract, were all on the island of Manhattan together. What a coincidence! Steve Rogers describes the time heist. Six stones, three teams, one shot. The current Avengers team of Hawkeye, War Machine, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man, Captain America, Rocket Raccoon, Nebula, Ant Man, Black Widow, and Thor suit up, step onto the quantum platform, and shrink down to begin the mission with Natasha Romanoff saying, See you in a minute. And
2: just, I love Cap giving a Captain America speech and then Rocket going, He's pretty good at that, isn't he? And Scott, like, yeah, I know. That "see you in a
3: minute" line—I don't think any line in the history of film has ever hit harder on second viewing than "see you in a minute."
2: Yeah, yeah, that's tough.
1: That's what I was thinking too. The first time, whatever, you probably wouldn't have thought about the line Mm -hmm. afterwards. You Mm -hmm. probably wouldn't have remembered that she just, you know, like an hour earlier at this point said "see you in a minute," but. Mm But the yeah, second it hurts. time, it hurts. Really, on like, oh time. god! Like, no,
3: she won't. <laughs> and she's smiling, and
2: and and. Uh. Yeah, she and Tony. Oh, not Tony. She and Steve like share a, share a friendly smile because, again, great example of just their their friendship.
0: And then sadness but all of that will be talked about next week when we go into part two of our three-part end game spectacular but that's gonna do it for this episode for all of us here you can find us all on twitter you can find uh robbie at philkid three gator 2010 for chris d underscore peaches for peaches and abcd eduardo one for eduardo the one who hosts this podcast. <laughs> uh, that's gonna do it for all of us. You can find the show at Assembly Required. I'm sorry, Assembly Cast on Twitter. You can find it uh, you can email us at assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. That's gonna do it. For all of us here. Robbie, Chris, Peaches, Eduardo. We love you 3000. Excelsior. Bobly Bobly. See you in a minute. <laughs> Do my best, God. You are God, aren't you?
3: Well, uh, no. I'm God's cousin, Rod. But I got this job on my own merits.